a world filled with fast-paced living and constant demands on the aging body, it's easy to forget some of the simplest yet most essential elements of our well-being, hydration and nutrients. As you know, when I'm not in the studio recording a podcast or in the gym or out in the scrub hunting, putting rounds downrange, I'm somewhere in the world on a security gig, putting in the hard yards, ending up on TikTok. So legends that get some, keep me advancing forward, Jocko Fuel Supplements. More specifically, I've been smashing the Jocko Hydrate Sachets, which helps me replenish my electrolytes and other critical vitamins while boosting energy and supporting recovery. Also, just like my kids, my appetite for veggies goes as far as hot chips from the kernel. However, every morning I'll mix a scoop of Jocko Greens, Jocko Creatine into water, which helps me supplement my lack of and delivers all the nutrients for better gut health, immune support, cognitive function, and physical performance. And not to mention, tastes bloody good. So head over to www.getsome.com.au and use the code Zero Limits all in caps for a discount. I'll leave you with this for the day. Hard work, clean fuel, stronger, faster, smarter, better. Let's go. It's time for the Zero Limits Podcast, hosted by Australian veterans. Chatting with high-charging humans with hectic stories from around the world. We'll give you the motivation to take on whatever life throws at you and the kick to complete any goal you set your mind to. Let's go. All right, listeners, on today's Zero Limits podcast, we are chatting to a former U.S. military personnel. Mm-hmm. His name is Kyle Schmidt. I believe he was a sergeant, Sergeant Kyle Smith. In the National Guard. He was a uh, National Guard, and then he became... A police officer in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. This is everything uh, I'm reading off uh, the bio he sent me. From D.C., he transferred to Georges County, which I have no idea where that is, but I'm sure it's in Georges County somewhere. It sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> he then went on to his first tour of Afghanistan as a dust-off crew in Helmand Province, dust-off crew chief, which a dust-off is uh, Medivac uh, Helos. Okay, cool. He did three tours in total to Afghanistan, and – what he's told me through messages is that he worked with uh, Troy Knight, our man Troy Knight. How, how cool is that? Yeah, so he's worked with uh, the two Commando boys, um, which we'll dive into and shout out to Holsworthy. <laughs> shout out to Holsworthy. He then joined the CIA as an air wing, as a, a, a contractor that flew with uh, the Hueys. Does he know Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> the, no Fugit. Ryan Fugit. He was uh, Apache. He was CIA too. Yeah, he was CIA, but he didn't fly. Oh, in okay. fly. Sorry, sorry for that. He was like the full, yeah, <laughs> moustache, fake moustache, fake sunglass stuff. But uh, um, so, yeah, he became uh, a contractor for GRS, um, which is the contracting company for the CIA. During this time, when I'm reading here, this is this is where it gets mental. He got addicted to painkillers and had a heroin addiction. Mm. Uh, so it's a huge jump from yeah. some Panadine. No forward. shit. Uh, written down here, it said he was homeless. And obviously had PTSD as well. So basically he says here, he went from police officer to homeless junkie. That's like what a policeman does really. Yeah. For the junk junkies. Yeah. So this is absolutely crazy. He reckons he's died. He died. In a, he was in a coma for a few days. He saw the afterlife. And uh, let's just get him on and to tell this story because this. I'm this, interested to know about the junk I'm very interested side. because he, military, police, junkie. 
Back on his feet now. Back obviously. on his feet, yep. So let's, let's get him on. Let's do it. Cole Smith, how are you, mate? How you going, bro? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Yeah. Super duper. Good, man, mate. Uh, again, really appreciate you coming on and, you know, getting back to us and chatting with me over the last, you know, few weeks and, you know, talking rubbish, which has been great. And you sent through a whole bunch of pictures as well, and some of them are crazy. <laughs> I don't know if I can put all of them up, but we'll definitely uh, use what we can. Mate, let's just start off right from the start. Tell us who you are, where you grew up, and, you know, what led you to uh, joining the military? Uh, so my name's Kyle. I'm from Washington, D.C., and I actually had no desire to join the military at all, <laughs> uh, ever. Like, I didn't really care for the government. And then uh, I was a senior in high school and then 9-11 happened. And I was kind of like, wow, hmm, okay. <laughs> uh, and so I was like, well, if, I'm, if I want to uh, have some kind of role in like getting revenge for this, yeah, uh, it, you know, or preventing it from happening to whatever extent I could. And it's, that sounds kind of like arrogant, like I would have some impact on it, but I wanted to be involved in whatever the effort was to get revenge for that. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, well, I got to play ball with the military and the government. And I went into a recruiting office and I was like, Hey, what, uh, who gets to fucking kill the most people? (laughs) He was like an old Vietnam guy. And he was, I don't think he knew Mary. (laughs) I expected the answer to be infantry. And he was like, probably the guys in the helicopter that shoot the gun. And I was like, Oh, cool. I want to do that. Yeah. on. And it was kind of come to find out that's not true at all, (laughs) but yeah. Right. So, um, let's just back it up a little bit. Uh, how were you at school? To start off with, and off, yeah, right. Just a rat <laughs> yeah, bag of a kid. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't really. It was weird because I was. I wasn't really interested in. I, I don't know. I was just kind of a lost kid, man. I was. I knew how to do the work, and ever, uh, you know, my first three years in high school, I was kind of just involved with. I, I just had no direction. I don't know. I really didn't have see much of a purpose in it. Yeah, right. I was going to just do construction for the rest of my life, and kind mm. of relegated myself to being a loser. I was kind of ashamed of trying to be intelligent. Maybe I was ashamed to fail. Yeah. I guess maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And okay. uh, did you, did you have any siblings? Uh, sister. Yeah. Younger sister. Yeah. And was she in a similar path as you? Like just. No, no she's a success. She, she's a success story. Homeland Security yeah, and she's smart and successful. <laughs> Isn't a giant asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's always one black duck of the family and I was that one too. Just shit at school and then end up joining the military. <laughs> it's a common theme. Within uh, your family, was it, is there any family history within the armed forces? Or Yeah. So both my grandparents, my grandfathers, one was in the Marine Corps, one was Air Force, um, both fought in Korea. My grandfather on my dad's side was Air Force OSI, which is like their office of special investigation. Uh, he fought in Vietnam as well. Um, on the my mom's side, fought in the Chosin Reservoir campaign, which is kind of a famous battle. Yeah, in- yep. In the Korean War. Yep. Wow. Um, Fuck yeah. So, did did you meet uh, your grandfathers, or were they around? I I did. Yeah, I knew. But uh, so my the Marine who fought in the Chosin Reservoir was actually murdered at the VFW shortly after getting home in a drunken argument with other Marines, uh, unfortunately. And then my grandfather passed the Air Force one passed away when I was in Afghanistan in 2012. Oh no way! Did they? Did he ever tell you stories about his time in the service? No, I mean, just that he enjoyed it. I mean, some stuff, but they, their generation was a lot more tight-lipped than ours. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I, I think that maybe that's a generational thing or a cultural thing, but they were not about talking about the military or what they did or what they saw. It was kind of like, I don't know, their their generation just handled it differently than ours. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that is true. It's totally like, especially 
Yeah, it, they very, don't, very hush especially hush. the Vietnam side of things too. Even those guys were yeah. pretty hush hush until until the recent day. You know, they've started coming out and make movies, etc., and all that type of stuff. What year did you uh, head to this recruiter and? He basically just said, jump in a helicopter. It's actually 2000. So I, I, I went in 2005 and I did something called the delayed entry program. Yep. And so I didn't leave until 2006. Um, but yeah, I, I finished college. I, after I actually ended up getting into a community college by the skin of my teeth and uh, finished my degree first. And I wanted to go in as an officer and kind of fly, but I, I don't know. I just, I followed through with the door gunner thing. Yep. And I thought that would, that would be like the segue into uh, becoming a pilot, yep. which is the route most people take. Um, but okay. drugs had other plans. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, t- we'll touch Jeez. on that one later. So th- this is the Army uh, National Guard too? Correct. Yeah, so so just for our listeners here in Australia, the National Guard is essentially the reserve forces? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Essentially, but I know you, you guys were pretty much full-time, just working full-time. Yeah, once yeah. the Global War on Terror kicked off and we started to augment the active duty force, it just became a – a full-time thing kind of, and actually what's cool, what I found out was that the active duty army here in, in here in America, the military have a website called tour of duty, which I don't know if it's, it's still around, but they advertise vacancies for deployment. So I would go on this website and oh, be like, right. Oh, there's a posting in Germany. There's a posting in Afghanistan. And I would just volunteer for all these different deployments. That's cool. And and I ended up getting on them. People were like, how in the fuck does a guy in the national guard, how do you have so many deployments? And I would tell people about this website and <laughs> It's like seek. I guess I was. In, what's that? It's like seek. Yeah. Like here in Australia, we have a thing, a thing called seek. It's like for like jobs, like job, okay. yeah, job hunting. Like bloody in, like indeed, or like Jora. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you do your time in National Guard. You did boot camp, and then come home. Then you become a police officer. Where does that thought process come along? Um, I, I had a bunch of friends who were cops. I really, you know, I came home kind of expecting to deploy and like go on a bunch of deployments. And that just didn't happen right away. Yeah. And so in the National Guard being part-time, I had to get a job. It was like, okay, you know, I came home from the training cycle of basic training and MOS training. And then it was like one week in a month. Well, that, that's not going to pay the bills. Yeah. And I had buddies who were like, well, you know, being a cop is kind of like the military. So I'm like, all right, I'll give that a shot. Yeah. And this is in Washington, D.C. too. So, you know, quite a, a monumental place for America. You know, obviously the White House, the Pentagon. All the all, all the cool, all the cool, cool stuff. How was your training? Like, talk, run us through like your application process to become a police officer in DC. Uh, is is it a is it a stricter process in DC just because of where, the location it is? It's more sensitive. No, actually, DC was less restrict. So I worked for two <laughs> different departments. I worked for DC, and I transferred to the neighboring jurisdiction. Yep. where all the really bad neighborhoods were. <laughs> awesome. Um, Prince George's County, Maryland, but um. DC didn't do the polygraph. So DC in their background investigation was like, they didn't really call, like go speak to my references. They just sent a letter for them to like, Song. like it would have been really easy to forge your way in. I don't know if they still do it like that, <laughs> <That's hectic. laughs> but I, I bullshitted my way right through the process. I'm not going to lie. There's no, I had no business doing that job. I, I mean, if I would have told the truth, I mean, if I would have truthfully answered those questions, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's no way I would have been hired. Yeah. I'm the same with the military. <laughs> Have you done drugs before? No. Never. <laughs> so, that's all I did in school was smoke weed. <laughs> <laughs> so h- how did you go from uh, from the military lifestyle? Is it, is it a you know a similar training regime to the police or was the police just fully just laid back and like, more just like, like Chief Wiggle? No, the, 
What, Chief Wiggum? So the, <laughs> yeah, the police academy was actually harder than basic training. Was it? No way. <laughs> I I went in there like, this is going to be a cakewalk. This is a joke. I'm, I'm a military. Like, <laughs> and I got crushed, man. I went in there with a beer gut. Like first day, we, it, it was like August. So it's, you know, 100 degrees out. And we got crushed that whole day. And I mean, like, you can only get smoked for so long before you're at muscle failure and you're done. And, and like, I'm just like, man, like these kids who were like, you know, 19, 20 year old kids are totally blowing me out of the water, you know, cause I was a little bit, I was like 23 or 24 at that time. Yeah. But you know, I thought I was in good shape and I wasn't, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and the, the police department kind of picked military, uh, veterans to serve as the Academy staff. Mm -hmm. And so they tried to make it as close to like a shark attack boot camp type atmosphere as that. Yep. Yep. Uh, so you finish your training. How long is the, the whole training process? About six months? <laughs> it was supposed to be six months, but we had a scandal. So somebody went to the press and told them that the Academy staff were giving us answers to the tests. Uh. And so like two or three months in the entire Academy staff gets canned and they're tell us basically like, you know, you have to do your tests over. We don't know if things were like compromised. And so it ended up being about eight and a half to nine months. Oh yeah. Shit. Wow. That's but, yeah. So we basically kind of had like start, like they didn't start over with treating us like shit every day, but as far as the academic stuff goes, we kind of had to, we definitely had to retake our tests because there was t questions of integrity. Yeah. So that's fuck, but, fuck <laughs> that though. I'll be so pissed off. Oh man. I'll be yeah. Off. Yeah. So you finish your training and then you uh, get your badge and yeah, uh, you, so put, you graduate, get yeah. your, uh, you go through your, uh, you get your badge and your gun which is a pretty cool ceremony, have family come out and everything. Um, and then you do what's called your FTO period, mm -hmm. where you basically ride along with an officer who trains you, you know, kind of shadows you on on calls for service, on, yep. you know, running running calls. And where were you? This is inside uh, Washington, D.C. itself? Or? Uh, so the, well, the one I'm talking about is Prince George's County. Yeah. Oh, yep, yep. So gotcha. Right in the, right the D.C. line. So we were on the Washington, D.C., Prince George's County line. Oh, so it's like uh, you said Maryland. So Maryland is the state that borders Washington. Yeah, yeah, so I, kind of surrounds. Yeah, I was only there uh, a couple months ago. I, I was out at uh, Travis Travis Pastrana's house shooting guns. <laughs> that's like literally ten minutes down the road from my house. Is it? Yeah, that's yeah, cool. That's fun. Yeah, yeah that's so awesome. That's where I go all the time to shoot guns with uh, Street Bike Tommy. Huh? Nah, <laughs> You've seen the video, obviously, of him flipping over the foam pit. Oh yeah, man. We, yeah, well, we, we yeah. talk about that a lot. That was back in like the early two thousands. You should never turn right. <laughs> He's on the yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll have to, uh, mate, I'll, I'll be I'll be back there in the next uh, couple of months, next month or so, and I'll be back. I'll catch up with uh, Tommy and probably head out to Travs and shoot some guns again. So definitely invite you along. Come shoot some guns. Hey, let me know. Yeah, just back to your police officer side of things. So how long were you a police officer in in the area for? Three years. Three years in here. to finish. How'd you find that? Was there anything that like, was just out of control, like crazy shootouts or? You know, I thought it was going to be like bank robberies and explosions, and it was a lot of report writing. <laughs> it was very underwhelming. Um, you know, I was kind of there in the post. Like, at some point, we became Generation Lawsuit, where everybody wants to sue everybody, and everybody's on the hook for something somebody else does. So, like, if we were – in fact, they coached us in the academy. They're like, look, when you're in a pursuit, don't be screaming on the radio, making it seem like it's a reckless situation. Because so our code for cancel the call was ten twenty two. Yeah. So you're going to get ten twenty two if you're acting like an idiot, screaming on the radio, speeding around like that. You know the department's liable if you more often than not when a police officer pursues a suspect, the suspect and the officer 
push themselves beyond their abilities yeah. and beyond reasonable safety. It's like, it's not worth killing somebody because a guy just stole a car yeah. when he would have just drove away calmly and nobody would have got hurt, you know, and, and stuff like that comes back to bite officers in the ass. Yeah. And, and there's plenty of officers who were in jail for, for negligence. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. so, especially nowadays when everybody wants to see the police get burned to the ground, you know, for doing their jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I reckon it'd be such a hard job in the U S and obviously we've seen it all over the media and yeah. Uh, you know, the last forever. We actually got uh, Sergeant John Mattingly coming on. He was involved with the Brianna Taylor shooting. Um, oh. Yeah. Yeah. So he's coming on soon. So you you do your three years as a police officer and you were kind of just like, fuck, this is, this is boring. And then. No, it wasn't boring. It was the, uh, yeah. The, so during that time, I guess I should back up a little bit. At the beginning of the academy, I fractured my ankle. And I, I was not willing to, I wasn't going to quit and be unemployed. And I made a very poor decision. The doctor gave me a medicine called Oxycontin to Ooh. kind of work oh, through it. No. Here we go. Yeah. So this is where and, it started. Uh, yeah, that's where it started. He was like, uh, I'll never forget. I'll never, ever forget the words that came out of his mouth because they changed my life forever. He was like, you know, I, I don't usually prescribe this much Oxycontin, but, you know, you're a cop. We don't have to worry about this. And I'm like, yeah, right. Exactly. Fuck. Yeah. That, that just made sense to me. I don't. I didn't know shit about addiction. I didn't know shit about. I, I thought addiction was just somebody who wanted to do drugs and just didn't want to stop. I, I didn't understand it. I didn't. I didn't. I was. I didn't know what I didn't know. Yep. So throughout that three years, you're basically just on oxy's, uh, just supplementing your pain. But at that stage, you've started to grow the addiction that you didn't know about, and then yep. um, so you get out of the police, but you deploy. Uh, this is where you jump onto that uh, active tour duty. Same website, yep. and uh, you deployed to... Can you just back, back up a second? Yep. Yeah. Were you taking heroin while still serving as a, as a policeman? Yeah. Yeah. At times. Yeah. Yeah, right. Far out. I didn't, so I, yeah, I didn't... So when I, I... I didn't know I was... The day... I, the weekend I found out I was addicted, I'd gone to Las Vegas on vacation. Yeah. And I left my medicine at home. I'm thinking... Because like, I didn't know I was addicted. I didn't know I needed it. And so I left it at home, get out to Vegas, and I'm kind of like, man, I... I don't feel good the first day and the second day. I'm just gnarly sick. I'm so fucking sick. And I'm like, I got food. Po- it must be the sushi. I got food poisoning. Like I'm fucking sweating. My body's shaking. I'm throwing up. I'm shitting out. Of- I'm just pissing out of my ass. I mean, vi- violently. I, got- I thought uh, I was going to die. Yeah. And so I got home like the next day and like my whole body hurt. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, I-, I took one of my pills and like a half an hour later, I was hundred percent again. I'm wow. perfectly fine. And I kind of laughed at my girlfriend. I'm like, babe, like I just could make a made a medical discovery. I figured out a cure for food poisoning. And she's oh, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm. I'm like, I took one of my pills and I'm instantly better. She was like, babe, that's, I, that doesn't sound right. I think you're addicted to them. Fuck. I'm like, I still didn't really put two and two together. Yeah. She's like, stop taking it and see what happens again. And I did. And I was just, the sickness came right back the next day. And I was like, I had that aha moment where I was like, oh my God. Like this bad. How yeah, did, how that's, did you transition yeah. from ox, ox, oxycontins to heroin? Like, what was like the turning point where you're like, "Fuck it"? I'm the turning point the was so I went to my doctor and I told him I was like, "Dude, I'm I can't stop taking these things without getting sick." I said, "Cut you He's off." He's like, "Oh, you're you're addicted. Uh, I gotta cut you. I gotta fuck. cut you off, man." Shit. And that was it. I walked out of his office thinking I was getting a refill, and I, I went. I had nothing. I'm like, uh, "Okay, I don't know what what the fuck do I do now?" Holy shit. Mm. And that, you know, I had to go to work. I'm like, I don't have time to take off work. I was too embarrassed to tell anybody. 
And I had a friend who I'm like, hey, he had prescription as well. And I'm like, dude, let me buy some of your meds. And he's like, well, I, I don't have those, but I got something else. And I was so sick. I did I, you could have given me battery acid and told me if it had made me feel better, I would have fucking, I would have taken it, man. And at this stage, you're still ser- serving as a copper, serving as a policeman. Yep. Yeah. Fuck. Wow. So uh, thanks for pulling me up, Shane. Cause I didn't, I thought you were just, you know, building your, you know, your addiction just based on oxys throughout your whole time. And then at the end of it, you just went crazy on the, the other side, but this, that's next level. How many years were you on the, uh, the, the hammer for during like being a policeman and then after being, being a copper? How many was I on what now? Oh, um, heroin. Oh, oh. Uh, well, so I actually didn't use, I always kind of looked at that as different. I, I didn't, it didn't appeal to me because I didn't know the dosage. Yeah. Like with a pill, I know that the pharmacist isn't some piece of shit loser <laughs> tampering with it and putting yeah. fucking whatever in it. Gotcha. Pills really appealed to me because I knew what was in it. I knew yeah. the dose. I knew how many to take. I mean, it was just regulated. It was, it, it was somehow more legitimate in my mind anyway. That makes sense. Um, so I only did that. I only switched to heroin or whatever I could get when I couldn't get. Okay. But so it was kind of intermittent, but yeah, I mean, on and off the whole, I would say 90% of my using was prescription painkillers. And then yeah. the 10% where I couldn't get them was to you know, ended up being. What's the, uh, the, what's the feeling like of being on, being on heroin? Like, what does it feel like to you? See, I, I kind of had a, I, I had what's called a paradoxical reaction. Typically people, heroin users are lethargic and like falling asleep on themselves, drooling. It gave me, it was like rocket fuel. It gave me insane amounts of, I mean, like every ounce of confidence, every ounce of fucking energy. I mean, as much energy and confidence as you could ever have in the whole world, which I had enough of anyway. It seems to me like I'm maybe greed was one of my big character defects. Like I wanted more. I was fine. I was fine to begin with. I don't know why that was appealing, but like it took the edge off of everything, man. I don't know. Wow. This is fucking Fuck. hectic. You leave the police and was the whole addiction part of that cause? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Were, were you kicked out of the police or did they find out or was it? No, you just. No. Left. So, so it, it eventually got to a point where people were kind of starting to figure it out. Uh, and right. so I did something that I was afraid of the entire time. And I ended up being right. I was like, you know, if I tell them about this, they're going to think I'm a loser. They're going to think I'm a piece of shit. I looked at it as kind of a moral failing and, yeah. you know, they're going to can me. And at first I was like, you know, Hey, look, I got addicted to this, this medicine I'm prescribed. I need fucking help. Yeah. Like, yeah. because at th- that was the point where I started overdosing. I started waking up in hospitals and I'm like, this is so bad. Like, yeah. Um, at, you know, let's touch on the, the Afghanistan side of things. What, what, where does this come into it? Is this before this all this happened, or was this after? Yeah, this was prior to my first tour. Yeah, everything with the police department. So literally, my police career ended as I left for my first tour in Afghanistan. When I told them I needed help, they were like, at first they were like, okay, cool, well, we're going to let you go get this handled. But then they started to kind of dig, scratch a little bit deeper and be like, have you? been carrying a gun and taking the entire time yeah <laughs> and like the and they're like you've been operating a car at hundreds of miles an hour pulling people over like pointing a weapon at people they're like as soon as the their imagination ran wild well not even imagination as soon as, as, soon as they kind of realized yeah <laughs> oh how dangerous i was i mean how dangerous i can't lie it was i was being reckless yeah yeah wow, wow. because of my own stupidity I mean, yeah. I, I I don't know. <laughs> I wish I could sugarcoat it and let myself off the hook, but that's yeah. Oh, I wouldn't say it's your own stupidity. That, that's <clears> addiction. <throat> you know, you don't know that's happening. It's just happening. 
That's but yeah. anyway. Um, so yeah, so the whole Afghanistan thing. So you leave the police, you still got your addiction, then you're uh, back with the uh, Army National Guard. First deployment to uh, Afghanistan as a dust off crew chief in the Helmand province. And just for the listeners that you know aren't military, Helmand province is one of those provinces that was fucking hot to trot. It was just gangbusters. The Badlands, one of the Badlands, especially for the UK uh, forces. The UK spent a lot of time there and fuck, they got, yeah. What about you, Matty? No, 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 definitely not. No. Yeah, so run us through that. How'd that come up? Um, So we got to Helmand Province and like you said, (laughs) we found out very quickly it was like the Compton of America. (laughs) I mean, like it was... (laughs) When I, people kept telling us, like, oh, you're going to Helmand. Oh, okay, cool. Like, you better get ready. That's It's the real fucking deal there. And so, like, we get there. And, like, during the transfer of authority where the old unit's leaving and we're coming in, they're like, oh, yeah, we picked up a guy with, like, a rocket-propelled grenade in his body today. And I'm like, the other unit's, like, telling us this. And I'm like, wait. Fuck, no. What? Like, the guy had a fucking rocket in his body? And, like, they're, you know, coming back with bullet holes in the aircraft. And it, it was just like... It was every bit as bad as people described it. Yeah. Um, Run us through the position, uh, you know, exactly what, uh, you know, the dust off crew is, you know, again, us in the military know exactly what it is, but run us through, because we do have a lot of listeners that won't understand what a dust off crew is. Sure. Uh, So basically during Vietnam, the army started a, uh, basically an ambulance that's a helicopter and they call it dust off. And so what happens is when somebody gets wounded on the battlefield, the quickest way to get that person from the point of injury to the hospital is in a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Point A to point B, you know, there's no driving, there's no danger from IEDs, et cetera. And so we're a four-person crew, uh, two pilots, and then a medic and a crew chief, which is what I did. And uh, we basically just sit around all day and we have an area of coverage, which our area of coverage was Helmand Province. And when any unit gets wounded, or has a casualty, gets blown up, uh, or even less serious injuries, they, they call in what's called a nine line, which would be the equivalent of calling 911. Mm-hmm. And then we respond to that and then take the person back to the hospital. Yeah. And your role as the the, the crew chief, were you on a gun, a door gunner? So on, <laughs> for with dust off, no. We're, we, because of the Geneva Convention, we're not allowed to mount crew serve weapons. Yep. Because we have a Red Cross on the helicopter. Now, oh, guys oh. in the Air Force were smart enough to call themselves search and rescue <laughs> rather than medevac. Yeah. And so they're not considered a medical asset. So gotcha. anything that has a Red Cross on it cannot have crew serve weapons. Yep. So, no, we, we we carried personal weapons, but we pretty much went in unarmed. So there's there's three different medevac assets that the military has that are dedicated to the job of getting wounded people off the battlefield. Army dust off. Air Force Pararescue, and then the British had one uh, in Helmand, which was a CH-47 Chinook, uh, which was basically a flying surgical hospital, awesome. uh, which was called Tricky. Wow. But cool. So PJs were Air Force. Yeah. And the PJs were basically, I would describe them as like paramedics with infantry skills, maybe? Yeah. Obviously, they're more advanced than infantry. Yeah, you know, yeah. They're, they're specialized. Stuff. Yeah, we've had uh, Mike Maroney. He's a PJ yeah, and uh, an A ten pilot that was a PJ prior, and they've had they've got some crazy stories. But yeah, exactly like you said, they're pretty much paramedics with infantry schools that get out and get into the fight and then do what they need to do and get out, which is super yeah, cool. We, had, we would get into it pretty good with those guys. Yeah, right. It, well, because we're we're all competing. Not I shouldn't say competing, but we were we were competing for the same missions. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And so it kind of came to this like macho like thing where they're like, oh, you know, 
these guys are unarmed. They're just a bunch of regular army, you know, people. We're way more skilled than them. Like, and they, we went to like a, a capabilities briefing and what, one of their selling points, they're trying to like, they're talking to the, you know, the command staff of Afghanistan. They're like, you know, we have our scuba gear. And we're like, scuba gear? We're in the middle of a fucking desert. What the fuck did you bring scuba gear for? And like the fact that they said that was just kind of funny. But we we they used to hook us up with pizzas and stuff. Yeah. It was like a lo- it was a love hate thing, you know. That's we awesome. were cool with them, but yeah. well, that's always the the tri service Navy, Air Force, Army banter that always comes yeah. along with it. Just like this bloke in the Navy, far out. Hello. <laughs> um, so how long how long was that tour in total? Uh, so it was 12 months, nine of which we spent in country doing medevac duty. Yep. And how many medevacs do you reckon you did within that nine months? <sighs> Too many to keep track of. That's hectic. Uh, so Fuck. our headquarters was at a Camp Dwyer, which is in the southern part of Helmand. Mm-hmm. But we had detachments all over. So we would have like overlapping areas of coverage, basically so that the entire province, you know, had a a medevac asset that was within 30 minutes flying time of a hospital yep. so that we could get somebody from the top and not have to come from the bottom type thing. We are, we had people pre-staged all over. Yeah. And so we were up North in an area called Sangin, Sangin uh, yep. which was a really bad area in the Kajaki Nari Siraj. And then a little bit further South um, towards Camp Bastion, we had the Camp Dwyer guys would cover the central part. And then down South, we had some people at a fob called Payne, yep. which was in Garmsir district. Yep. Yeah, right. And um, is it any like close calls getting shot out of the sky oh, we, or anything? So we we lost a, we we lost two well two aircraft went down that that deployment. The first one was a crash. Um, our guys launched at night, and there was a sandstorm, and they flew into the sandstorm, and there was some kind of issue where they got disoriented. Uh, they rolled upside down, and then burned it into the ground. We lost wow. that entire crew. Right. And then about two months later, a, another mission. Uh, in an area that was over the line in Kandahar province in Shawalikot, where uh, the second aircraft got shot down, which was the assault bird um, by a Taliban fighter with an RPG. Wow. Hectic. And, you know, throughout this whole nine month period, how, you know, again, we're going back to your addiction. How were you coping? Like, how was. <laughs> so I just went, I left and went cold turkey off everything, man. I, it oh, sucked. Fuck enormous balls for about a month. I was horribly, horribly sick. And I had to go to work every day with a smile on my face and just pretend like it wasn't happening. And what's really wild is like during that time, we regularly encountered drugs. I mean, the, all the Afghans we picked up. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times we'd find heroin, uh, yeah. either heroin pot or some they had this stuff. They used to chew like tobacco. I think it was yeah. called Maswar. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I never had the desire to do drugs because I had a better one. <laughs> War. Oh, yeah. That's like at any time I was deployed, I was around as as much drugs as I could ever really ask for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah. I had no desire to do it because I had purpose. I had fulfillment. I had action. Um, it was only when I came home that that those demons kind of resurfaced where I didn't have, you know, something to really sink my teeth into or be focused on. When you were um, serving for 12 months, did anybody know that you were an ex-junkie? No, I kept back then. No. Yeah. Okay. That, that first tour, nobody knew. I, I I kept it hidden. I didn't tell yeah. anybody. Okay. I, I just came off that, you know, leaving the police department where I told them about it and I lost my career because of it. So right, right. I was like, yeah, oh, I'll, I'm not going to do that again. I, now I know to bury this deep. And that kind of really cemented in place the idea that I had to hide this and be ashamed and like be ashamed of it. 
Yeah. So you get back after that 12 month and then it's, it's about a year until your next appointment. How did you, like, did you relapse straight back into it? Straight back into it. <laughs> straight back yep. into it. Well, actually, no, for the first month, actually, no, yeah, it was pretty quick. I mean, I came home with like, you know, I had like 45 grand in my bank account because I hadn't been spending my money. Yeah. And I, I still had a prescription cabinet with medicine in it, like from when I had left. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I can do it just once. No. Nope. That was it. Pandora's box open all over again. I still, I still even, I still didn't understand what it was. It it took me about five times going away and coming home. And each time I would try a different thing where I'm like, all right, I'll give my medicine to somebody else. And I'll just do it once. Like just once, like we have a saying in recovery, like once is too much and a thousand is never enough. Yeah. And you do like one time Pandora's box is open. And it's like to learn that you kind of have to basically screw up long enough to, to survive through it all. Yep. Yep. Like I could, I, I'm, I'm an asshole. I could be told the stove is hot many times and I'm like, well, it burned my hand, but it didn't burn my elbow. So let me put my elbow on. Yeah. Like, gotcha. all right, well, the stove burned my elbow. I'll put my chest on it now. Like <laughs> I could burn my whole body away. Just be a floating head and be like, ah, I'll put my face on it. It burned the rest of me off. But like, I don't know. I'm an idiot. Yeah, yeah. When you relapsed, did you go back to the to the same same dealer? Was he like, "Good day, Cole, you back?" No, no. Well, so I I found a new doctor. Ah, uh, okay, I you right. know I started talking to my friends again. They're like, "Hey, we got you know another doctor." Yeah. And it was uh, surprisingly easy to find doctors who would write you a prescription for anything you wanted, mm. and all you had to do was pay them, and it was four fifty a visit Fuck. cash. Wow. And uh, dude, I walked in with like all these like medical records and stuff, thinking he was going to want to see them. And he's like, what, get that shit. What are you, what are you doing? Get that out of here. What do you, what do you want guy? Yeah. Do you know prescriptions you want to get the fuck out? Yeah. And I was like, whoa, that's hectic. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There would be, there would be that whole black market of, you know, dodgy doctors out there just making money at the end of the day. They're, in Australia, they're legalized right? drug dealers. Yeah. They are. Yep. Fuck. That's hectic. So. Um, so in that whole year before you deploy in your second deployment, um, you, you're back in DC. Are you, uh, you talk about going homeless. It was, is it anywhere at that stage you're going homeless or is it, is that, that, so that was the point where I started to, yeah. So towards the middle end of that year home was when, you know, like my roommates family would be like, you can't stay here anymore. You are a fucking train wreck, like wrecking cars, getting in fights, coming home with my face fucked up from car accidents, you know, having the paramedics and the police show up to the house, have my, you know, my family having to get called to the hospital, roommates complaining, like just, I mean, it makes you a bad person. Yeah. You know, I mean, everyone, it's not like that's a big secret, but it really, uh, that's when it really became noticeable. I couldn't hide it anymore. You know, people wouldn't tolerate it anymore because, you know, up to that, it really had been like, like what would be called a functional alcoholic mm-hmm. where someone who can still go to work and like have their life together. But that was the point where it really, really, really got bad. And coming off that tour of just seeing so many people die, seeing so much death, so much carnage and blood and seeing how unfair the universe is like watching a 19 year old kid, 20 year old kid fucking bleed to death crying and like begging for life, begging for fucking mercy mm. and just getting none. Yeah. Like uh, it, you know, that, that whole saying of like, there's no atheist in foxhole. I think that's the biggest horse shit ever. Yeah. Like the first casualty of anybody who's seen real war is God. There's no way you could, or at least for me, I shouldn't speak for anybody else. I left that place and I was like, there is no fucking God. And if there is, I don't want anything to fucking do with them because like, if this is what mercy is, this is what compassion is then this is a fucking, this is actually hell. Because yeah. 
it just, I lost all faith in the human race after that. Yeah. Seeing kids fucking the Afghan, like the Afghans were raping kids and we had to tolerate that. Yeah. We're transporting kids that were raped, Taliban setting kids on fucking fire, like dumping acid on each other, impaling each other with sickles, stabbings, homicides. I mean, we didn't just respond to battlefield injuries that were military related. We responded to Afghan injuries, car accidents. Paramedic, essentially. Yeah. I mean, uh, so the scope of it wasn't just combat trauma. It was just trauma. Yeah. And, And just to see that archaic reality of the world and the fact that like, you know, it really made me realize how delusional a lot of people are about how bad the world really is. Yeah. I mean, no, no. Not, not, not all bad. I mean, I'm not trying to sound like a pessimist, but I kind of had even through the police department. I mean, I had seen some bad calls, but I still like, yeah, I know there's, there's some good in the world, you know, and, and I still think there's good in the world, but there is definitely some medieval game of Thrones style shit going down yeah. in a lot of the rest of the world that we don't ever say are privileged. Yeah. We don't, yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't understand how lucky they have it. And it exactly. kind of made me angry. Like people could take anything for granted. Like yep. you're like someone complaining about traffic or something like, shut the fuck up. Like there's people fucking killing each other's like literally a civil war in Africa going on where people are hacking each other up with machetes and fucking eating each other. And you're complaining about traffic. Yeah. Yeah, man. So no, we, yeah, we 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 totally understand. I totally understand it as well. For yourself, it was an absolute recipe for disaster. You know, you you going away to Afghanistan for that first time, uh, developing the effects of PTSD, which you didn't even know you had PTSD, and then obviously doing the drugs at the same time. So it was just like a fucking two atoms come together and just turning yep. it on. And then your second trip to Afghanistan comes up again. You jump on the Seek website and uh, I look for a job. And what is it called? Uh, tour of duty. Tour of duty. Yeah, tour of duty. It was on. Uh, look that up. So we have this military. Um, it's like a military sponsored website. We call JKO Joint Knowledge Online, or like yep. AKO was like our 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 organizational website for the army. Um, but yeah, tour of duty used to have be on the the platform of JKO. Yeah. And um, but. So, yeah, so my life, once again, spiraled out of control. I'm living in hotel rooms. I'm living in people's couches, the back of my car, wherever, you know, I could stay for the night. Yep. And I found another deployment to go on. And so rather than face my demons, I ran for myself. Yeah. <laughs> and, and at <laughs> so, this stage, the military has got no idea of you, you, what's going on. They're just totally disconnected. I, I still, I became a master at living a double life. Yep. And, and even a triple life. I yeah. mean, I'd, I'd have like my work face. And my home life, and it's almost like I was, I mean, I was living a double life. There's no- At this stage, did you have a partner, a girlfriend, a missus? Um, no, nah, at that point, I was hooking up with, I mean, going out to the bar, random type hookups, but yeah. nothing that was stable or serious yet. Yeah. Uh, I ended up getting on, so on that deployment, I went on that next deployment thinking like, I'm ready to fucking die. I just want, like, this is, I really- I didn't, I didn't think I would die, but I was like, you know, this is the only way I'll ever have any honor in my life. You're happy to like, die. I'm a complete joke. Yeah. If I die on the battlefield, like my honor is cemented forever. Yeah. And okay. I, I don't have to dread, like my family name isn't that I, went, that I had just drug through the fucking mud and embarrassed myself and, and everybody else. Like this is, this is my way out. Mm. I can die with honor, like yep. a fucking man on the battlefield. And so I, I went, I volunteered for that deployment, not to die, but I mean like, in the back of my mind somewhere, I kind of had that twisted idea. You're happy, happy yeah. to die for it. What's that? You're, you're happy. You're happy, happy, happy to, Pretty much. to die. Yeah. It it would have, I mean, it was yeah. better than what I had going on, Yeah, which was being a fucking loser and, and losing the battle against myself and my demons, yeah. which so, I was 
horribly ashamed of. So this second tour, you're a door gunner uh, for the 82nd Airborne, which is uh, you know uh, a very famous battalion, 82nd Airborne, and you basically just went cold turkey again. Just yep, <laughs> went back. Just cold turkey. You'd think I would have learned through that pain, tremendous, and so I did it again. And that was the second of five times that I did that. This rinse repeat cycle of going home, self-destructing, deploying and running from my, my problems rather than being a man and facing them and doing what I needed to do. Yep. So this time again, you're a door gunner. And what gun did you have? Was it a 58 or a minigun or? Uh, so we used 240 hotels. Yep. That was so. That's a regular army mission. And uh, yeah, just it's just a 240 with a butterfly trigger on. Yeah. It rather than seven six two. Yep, seven yep. six two. Yeah, and uh, how was how was that deployment? You, obviously, you got to rain down a bit of hell this time. Did you fucking rinse. That deployment was awesome, actually. Yeah. So my roommate was a canine, hand, or my my next door neighbor was a canine handler, and I ended up in a relationship with my platoon sergeant, <laughs> uh, which which was allowed. I mean, it was kind of frowned on a little, frowned upon a little bit. But um, that deployment was it, it probably saved me because. I got a little bit of my self-esteem back. I got a little bit of, uh, you know, I got to go out and see some action and have fun flying as a door gunner. But what really was spiritually fulfilling for me throughout that process was getting to play with my my neighbor's dog and becoming friends with him and my relationship with um, her. I don't want to say her name on here because I yeah, may get back to her. But, yeah. but um, she was such a good person and it kind of wore off on me. I, I was like, you know, at that point, I had started to associate with some real low life people. Um, you know, I mean, I was just spiritually bankrupt yeah. and through the, her affection and the dog and friendships with healthy people that are normal. Um, you know, I was like, I, I kind of came home with this strength and resolve. Like I'm going to get my life together and, and stop being a fucking fuck up. I'm going to, I really got to get this under control because it's not funny. Yeah. And how, how, like, uh, how long was that deployment? Was that another nine months? So, well, that ended up being, so at the end of nine months, they were like, Hey, look, the new unit that's coming in to replace us is shorthanded. We need you to stay for another deployment. <laughs> so uh, the nine-month deployment turned into a 16-month deployment. Oh, Jesus um, Christ. Which I was actually fine with because I was going home to nothing. I mean, yeah. everybody else was kind of like, oh, fuck that. No way. You know, we're out of here. And they're like, really? You'll stay? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, yeah I'll stay. <laughs> and that kept you clean. So, kept you clean for that whole time, too. So that's And that was the other thing. It, in so the, the like the the secret reason I kind of did it was like more clean time, which I thought you know at that point I thought distancing myself further was going to give me you know would be like okay I'm definitely cured, which is not a thing in recovery. You're never yeah. cured, but <clears throat> um, during those sixteen, yeah, and, you're you got Cole. No, no, go ahead. During the sixteen months um, of being a door gunner, can you touch on some stories or touch, touch on some? Yeah, um, give us some one good glory where you. Uh, I wish some- I had good stories. So most of the kinetic or engagement stuff was actually on the prior deployment with dust off. Ah, right. uh, by this point in the war, flying as a door gunner, we had some engagements uh, like our unit did. I was never involved in those. Yeah. Um, it, I, I actually got tasked on the VIP mission. Oh, gotcha. And so, and what's really crazy is at a certain point during the war, a new SOP got put down by higher ups, which was that if you take enemy contact, you do not return fire. Get fucked. Wow. I swear to God. It was so our SO, uh, so our Fuck. our SOP for react to contact was bypass and report. What a we were supposed shit. to bypass <laughs> oh, no. the contact and call in a report so that a drone or Apaches or some close air support asset could take care of it. They absolutely did not want us returning fire. So 
we shot a bunch of rocks. <laughs> I mean, we we had people who got in engagements, but get, I wasn't one of those. Yeah, right. That's crazy. That's fucked. So you do your 16 months and then you're back to the US again. How long is that before the third deployment? Um, Probably about eight months. Eight months. I was and, home. And before- how, how did you go? You go home and- <laughs> Happen again. Rinse, repeat, man. Rinse I, I and repeat. So actually, up to his shoulder now. It's all burnt. I, <laughs> yeah. So I, I had stayed, I had stayed clean for the first couple of months. Uh, her, the girl, and I had moved in together, and uh, I moved across the country, and her and I got a house together, and I got injured, and I'm like, well, okay, it's a legitimate injury, you know, I'll just take painkillers for that. Oh no. And that'll be it. That yeah. Oh it. no. We all know how this yeah. ended. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Spirals right? down. Yeah. Pandora's and box over again. When you talk painkillers for that injury, was it uh, oxy's again, or was it something a little bit less? No, it was it was way, it was was not as strong. It was hydrocodone. Oh, was it? Shit, so it's not even that bad. It, right, and that was so, enough and, for and it that, to. Well, that's what I thought. But. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. You get that get that itch for it again, then you want wow. something stronger. I can't believe yep. that. As soon as I got the taste for it, I was going doctor shopping. Of course, yeah. it didn't take me long to find a new doctor, and I was like, all right. What kind of worked against me was like your prescription record becomes your resume. Yeah. And so when a doctor sees that you have years of other people uh, prescribing it, it becomes that much more legitimate or, or at least for the doctor point of view, easy to explain like, yeah. Hey, look, I'm not the only one who gave these to him. Yeah. It's clearly, it's clearly justified. Ah, uh, gotcha. Right. And so my ability to keep going from doctor to doctor and getting these prescriptions just really worked against me. Um, in the end, as much as I worked, Against myself. Yeah. Sorry, Kyle, what, what's your dog's name? Uh, this is Splash. Splash. Splash what is yeah. it, Dal- Dalmatian or something? Dalmatian. Yep, Dalmatian. Yeah, obviously right. got a, looks like you got a splash of paint. Yeah. Is, that, is that the reason? <laughs> oh, we oh, lost, we lost your audio. Audio, audio. Oh, well, my phone's not working for you. Splash. Hang on, hang on. Unmute any auto by alt space key. There you go. Yep. Uh, yep. Oh, we can't and hear. now we've lost you. Can't hear you. Oh, my God. <laughs> Fuck. Oh no! What's going on in the world today? CIA is just jamming us. I don't want to bar it. Phone stream. I'm gonna have to do sign language. Sign, sign language. <laughs> 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 Mate, we've lost. He's just um, gang signs. We've lost your audio. Shit. Let's. Um, That's fucked. Um, yeah, I'll send you. Nah, still I'll send you a new link again. I'll send you a new link. Do I need to- no, I'll send you. I'll send you a new link. Sorry, brother. Hey. Cool. There we go. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah man. Bro. Oh, fuck. I don't know what's going on, but this has never, never happened before. Pajamas. Yeah. Do they, do they want some of this story getting out, do they? Uh, uh, who knows? <laughs> uh, I mean, there is the part where I get charged with treason and arrested in Afghanistan. So. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll <laughs> fucking get to that. All right. Uh, <laughs> still going. What are we chatting about? Uh, uh, so... Recording doctors, in progress. Doctor's okay. prescription. Yeah, so back to doctors with prescriptions. It got easier. Yeah, so I got um it, you know, I got easier to get the uh the prescription. But so actually I thought of a cool story from the, the door gunner time to tell you. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the the time I did not kill a bunch of people, but I so <laughs> we were doing what's called an NAI recon. And what that was was an it's called a named area of interest. And so we would have like point of origin sites from where they would shoot mortars or launch attacks from. Mm-hmm. And we basically just circle them to see if we could catch them in the act of setting up or just letting them know like, hey, we know you're fucking out here and what you're doing. We know this is where you launch you know, rockets and mortars from. So we go out to this site and there's like a little lake and there's all these little dots in the water. And then the pilot is like, hey, I got guys with with weapons in a fighting position. And they're, are you who are they pointing those guns at? And I look down, and sure enough, there's Afghans down there, 
and they're pointing long guns up in the air. And I'm like, holy, like my heart fucking, I'm, you know what I mean? I'm like shaking. I'm like, holy shit, here we go. And so the pilot was like, hey, if you have PID, you're clear to engage. And so I reach up and grab the charging handle and I, you know, lock the bolts to the rear of the 240. And I'm like, all right, Afghans, they got weapons. They're pointing them up in the air. Our second aircraft was kind of like circling behind us a little bit. And so it looked like they were pointing weapons at the second aircraft. And I'm like, oh, this is it. I'm going to fucking smoke these dudes. They're dead. It's like, <laughs> finally. And and like, I don't know what happened in that second, but I'm like, man, they're just not, they're not acting. They're, they're not shooting. Are they like aiming? Like, and the pilot's like, hey, what the fuck is going on? Why, are, why aren't you engaging? What's up? Do say something. What's happening? And I'm like still looking and I'm like, and they kind of set their guns down and are just watching us. And this is all happening really quick, mind you. And I'm like, and then I, I realized those things in the water were, were duck deep. <laughs> they were duck hunting. No way. I didn't know. I didn't know Afghans duck hunted. What? I didn't know there was fucking ducks in no, Afghanistan. I didn't. That's what I mean. I didn't even know there was ducks in Afghanistan. I'm like. Fucking hell. That makes sense. What though. the hell? I actually have a picture. I'll send you the picture of it. It's pretty wild. But so, and, and I just, I had seen those duck decoys a million times and I had no idea that's what they were. They were hunting waterfowl. Wow. And like, in, but in that second, that's loose. I was completely justified. I could have wiped those dudes off the map and, and I would have been wrong. And I get, you know, I would have killed three innocent dudes, but like that, that moment really taught me, like, maybe I'm that kind of redeemed me a little bit. Cause I had yeah. gone down that road with drugs and everything. And I, I kind of was like, I'm, I'm not a good person. Yeah. But like, I was kind of like, wow. Like there's a lot of, there was a lot of people there who really, really, I mean, and I, I wanted to fucking very much kill people. I mean, yeah. Yeah, as sick as, de- and as demented as that sounds, I felt maybe it was a little bit that that like made me a tough, like, I don't know, our, our culture and movies and like, that's yeah. what toughness is. That's kind of what I thought, like being a man was being a soldier is about killing people. And like, and that was just like major small penis energy on my part, but, uh, <laughs> and many other people as well, I think, yeah. but I was like, damn, maybe I'm not such a bad guy. Like I had, I totally, and I I was cool. It was kind of cool because I knew I would have done it, but like I had compassion in that moment and enough compassion to where I didn't want to be wrong. And I wasn't sure. So I waited. I was like, all right, I got to be like, I I, I had to be certain. Yeah. And sure enough, that intuition was right. They were not bad guys. They were fucking, they were totally not shooting at us. They were not aggressive towards us. And if, if I had fired, I'd, I would have killed three innocent people. Yeah. Far out. Duck hunters. That's fucking insane. That is. <laughs> That's a weird, of, weird place to be duck Sort of hunting. funny, though. Like, yeah. you know, you're about to fucking light them, light yeah. them up and they're just shoot, shooting ducks. So. Yeah. <laughs> sh- sh- <laughs> sitting, they were sitting ducks. They were sitting ducks. <laughs> yeah. <Good boy. laughs> the battle damage assessment, like you killed three Afghan males and a couple wooden mallards that were floating around. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just, just tracking back, so you're on your eighth month um, – Sorry, Did, these are all on uh, MI seventeen. No, no, this, no that, that was on Black Hawk. That was on Black Hawk. So Black the MI the MI seventeen gig is the next, next one. Yeah, Sorry. so you're uh, you've hurt yourself. You're back on the on the gear again. Uh, going back on a downward spiral. Then your third tour comes back, back onto tourduty dot com and. Oh, your fourth uh, so, Well, your fourth? no, so that gig actually happened. Well, kind of, I didn't find that one on tour duty. As I was heading home, I was on a C one thirty. And I clipped my helmet bag to that big static cable yeah. that like the airborne guys use. Yeah. Well, we land, they hit the reverse thrusters and my helmet goes flying up the aircraft, and <laughs> smashes this dude right in the fucking head. I'm like, oh my God, dude, what the fuck? And he gets up, I'm like, I hope I outrank this guy, but I'm just an E5. Like, hopefully he, he ranks less than me. 
And I see he's an officer. I'm like, son of a bitch. Oh, I'm about to get yelled at in front of this whole fucking plane full of people. And he comes back. He's like, this your this your helmet bag? Did you lose this? I'm like, yeah, I'm so sorry, man. He's like, what uh, what are you flying on? And like, I'm like, uh, Blackhawks. He's like, really? He's like, you, uh, how many night vision goggle hours you got? And I'm like, uh, I got about 800 hours NVG time. And he's like, huh. He's like, so what unit are you in? And so we get to talking and emailing back and forth. Uh, There's a guy named Major Barry Hill. And he put me on to, so the Afghan, the Afghan air wing was the MI-17s, which were purchased by the United States government. Mm. And we were training the Afghans in place. So our aviators would go there and teach them how to fly. And the crew chiefs would teach them how to be door gunners. So it was basically just training the Afghan Air Force in place on the MI-17s that we got them. Yep. And so I got a gig doing that um, as as a black hawk, or I mean as a door gunner, uh, which we call an FI, a flight instructor. Even though I'm not teaching them to fly, just teaching them how to be crew chiefs. Yep. How to be a door gunner, like how to pre-flight the aircraft, how to mount the weapons. You know what your responsibilities are, that type of thing. Yeah. Right. Fuck, that's yeah. sick as. That's cool. And um, just touching on, we, you know, throughout our Instagram messages, we spoke about our our man Troy Knight and uh, you working alongside with uh, Two Commando. Um, uh, you know, a time when they got uh, shot up a few times, and you went out and did your thing. So run us through that. How you met Tro- Troy? So that that particular mission set, Two Commando was doing a counter nexus mission uh, in the area of Kajaki, which was within our area of coverage. And the guys from Two Commando ended up taking three separate gunshot wound victims over the course of that day. And my unit was the one that responded to each of those medevac missions. And we landed under such sustained fire that the guys on the ground ended up, you know, like they all talked about it and they they went to their command and they were like, hey, look, we want these Americans, this this unit, we want them to be dedicated to us from this point. And we ended up getting a letter from the Australian Army or like their commander. And they were like, they contacted our command and were like, hey, look, your guys apparently made an impression by like going into this hellacious gunfight on three separate occasions. They took RPG fire, small arms, uh, you know, like Dishka, like Soviet block machine gun. I mean, like it was an ungodly amount of fire that mm. each of our missions took going in. And so they're like, we'd like you guys to have a permanent asset dedicated to just us. And our command was like, OK, cool. And so from that point on, we had two ships. We had a you know, rotational crew that wherever two commando went, our guys would go stage and already have launch authority. Like everything was already ironed out. So they could just call us directly, yeah. which was not the standard procedure. Usually they had to call headquarters and there was all these levels of authority and bureaucracy. But um, so on that mission that day, Troy was JTAC, who in order for us to get in through the, the volume of fire was so heavy he had to drop several bombs from an F-16, which was uh, called Viper. And he had to basically soften up the, the LZ and create enough space for our helicopters to come in without getting shot down immediately. That's hectic. <laughs> That's fucking sick. Wow. <laughs> that is cool. We we ended up having a really good relationship with those guys. They were out of uh, Tarancote. Yeah. So we would go pick them up and we would just go stage these tiny little outposts or cops. I, I want to say the bait. The Australian compound on TK was called R- Robinson, Camp oh, Rob- did, Roberts or Camp Robinson. So what, what the point was that? Was it your first, second or third one? Was that so that one? was the, the stuff with Troy was the first tour. First tour yeah, with the dust off side. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And then, so that uh, third deployment, how long were you in uh, Afghanistan for that one? <laughs> that was about four months. Four, four months <laughs> nice and short. Oh, it's only a short one. So, well, it, <laughs> I, I ended up cutting it short because at that point, 
I had my doc, the, the doctor had kind of sent me an email like, hey, look, I can start mailing you prescriptions in the mail. And uh, I'm like, oh, OK, that's the worst idea I could possibly think of. Why wouldn't I do that? Um, and that's kind of what happened. So I started getting prescriptions in the mail and I, I was like, I, I got I can't run from this any longer. Like, this is such a fucking problem running, you know, geographic isolation and and the, the drug of war are not keeping me clean. Anymore. Like, yeah. The wheels are fucking coming. Uh, I'm now doing and and I don't want to say too much about the party atmosphere. Uh, actually, I'll leave that one. Yeah, they were. It was, it was you know. Being in and amongst SF, there's human beings everywhere. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, we we totally understand. They're kind of going through a bit of an issue here in Australia at the moment with, uh, yeah, with a couple of those photos going around from party times and Dressing SAS and yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, so what's kind of even crazier? We one of our door gunners on the first tour witnessed allegedly oh yeah yeah. right holy shit so that's was this the same one he's like we don't have enough enough space boom boom all right we we don't have enough space and apparently allegedly thank you there was one less passenger (laughs) on the manifest (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah, right i don't you know uh he was he was in so that that dude was a door gunner in our marine corps air weapons team escort um but that's kind of where it all started and then later on you know the the rumors of misconduct and we'll call them rumors because yeah. you know, war is a funny thing. Like it, it, it's not armchair court quarterbacking. It is, is bullshit. Yeah. I mean, sure. There are clear cut cases where murder occurred. I'm not saying that happened. I, I didn't see that. Everything that I saw from the two commando dudes and all the Australians was absolute professionalism. Yeah. And I'm not, it's not an exaggeration. That's, I mean, like I thought they were, more professional and deadlier than our American special forces that I'd worked. With. Yeah, oh, right. Wow. Far out. That's awesome. So all the boys out there in the West and there, yeah. Hol- Holsworthy. Yeah. Get, give yourselves a pat in the back. Pat in the back. And we're supporting, <laughs> we're supporting them. We are. We are supporting <clears throat> them. So you finish that deployment, you get back to the US and then. I went to, re- this, uh, I went to rehab. You went to rehab? Oh, I, so I, you did. They. So this is through yep. the Department of Veteran Affairs. Department Affairs? of Veteran yep. Affairs. Yep. yep. I went in and I was like, hey, I need fucking help. Like, I can't get this under control. I can't, it, it, like, it was like being possessed. I mean, I thought I, there was a time where it got so bad. I was like, I'm not, I'm not in control of my decisions. Like, this is, this is fucking insane. Just touching on that, Carl. So when you go to rehab, do you call up, go, hey, I'm going to come for an appointment? Or do you literally just show up at the door and go, hey, I'm, I'm a serviceman. I'm having troubles. <laughs> like, how does it, how does it work? Uh, so the VA, the VA has, every VA facility typically has what's called SARP, Substance Abuse Recovery Program. And I went into SARP. I just walked in cold and I was like, uh, I'm addicted to painkillers. I've been fighting this on and off and on and off. Like I I need help Mm -hmm. badly, desperately need help. And they're like, okay, cool. And two days later I was in treatment. Yeah. Right. So when you talk treatment, they just put you in like a a retreat or a hospital and. Uh, So they, every, so on the East coast, there's a, a VA facility called Perry point. But there are facilities all over, which is it's mm. an inpatient stay. It's not really a hospital. It's kind of just a dorm. Yeah. Okay. But during that time, you go through the, like classes about substance abuse treatment, about substance abuse, what it is, um, 12-step recovery programs, going to meetings, like working with other addicts, like basically things you can do to set yourself up for success, uh, stuff to reduce the stigma of addiction, yep. like understanding this is not a moral failing. 
This is like a biological disorder. You, you Like the pathways in your brain have changed from using drugs. You know, addiction kind of embeds itself in the limbic system of your brain. Mm. So the limbic system and your brain, it's making your heart beat right now. So like the same way you can't just make your heart stop beating. I can't make myself stop wanting drugs. Yeah. Okay. I can't tell my body to just turn off. And it became kind of a maladaptive coping mechanism for stress, for life, for, you know, rather than confronting all these issues and baggage that I summed up over all the years, I was just, it'd be like if you had a crying baby and you wanted it to shut up because it had shit its pants. So instead of changing its diaper, you know what I mean? You put your finger over its mouth. Like yeah. that's what drugs does. Yeah. I needed to change the, the shitty diaper of my life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so how long but, uh, were you in this rehab for? Yeah. Uh, first, first trip to rehab was 30 days. Yep. And then uh, I came out and they had suggested a maintenance program of medication, <laughs> which ended up also being an opiate. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh. I left to get, wait, what? I came here to get off opiates and you're sending me away taking opiates, a different kind. And I'm like, okay. And so I'm like, well, I guess when you stop taking this, then you do, there's no, there's no sickness or something. And, and sure enough, I'm then addicted to the medicine they gave me. I'm like, what in the fuck just happened? Oh, no. That was a waste of fucking time. Now I'm addicted to this stuff called methadone, oh, which is an methadone. opiate. That's the yeah. same fucking thing. Yeah. And I'm just like, I can't fucking win. I, I was really hopeless at that point. I'm like, I can't fucking win. Like, I cannot fucking win. And when you're in rehab, who else is there? Like, obviously, obviously there are other vets, like men, women, officers, sailors, soldiers, and <laughs> Marines. Everyone. I, yeah. I thought it was going to be truck mechanics and cooks and like, you know, maybe a, a Joe or two. There was every single, every, like the, the, the entire resume of badasses. There was Rangers there. Wow. There were SEALs there. There was recon dudes there. There was Green Berets there. Officers. I, every, oh, officers. There was, there was a Black Hawk pilot um, yeah, wow. who I became friends with. There was other po- fixed wing pilots. It, it, yeah. I mean, it was the entire spectrum of, of people. I mean, this is for some reason, we've got this idea that like addiction is like a localized phenomenon of like losers or poor people, because that's what it makes you. But like the road to get there, it, 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 it can happen to anybody. The only yeah. prerequisite is that you're a human being. Okay. So if you've, if somebody, if anybody out there listening thinks like your position or your title makes you above it, that's that's the same lie I believe. Then it's like a setup for failure. Yeah, what it so could happen to anyone anywhere. Yeah. Just to touch on everyone else that was there in the clinic, what um were they on like heroin addiction as well? Or were they just like other what, what other drugs? everything? Yeah, everything. Uh, yeah. A lot of it. So a lot, a lot of the pilots were alcohol. A lot of the officers were alcohol. Uh, methamphetamine was a big one for cocaine. Was big for the special ops dudes. Um, yeah, and a lot. And so alcohol was co-occurring. Yeah. everyone was kind of like a boozer, but there was also the drug problem mm. and, and, you know, heroin. Um, There's a couple opiate guys there. A lot of, a lot of painkillers who were amputees, yep. uh, infantry guys, or, or some of the soft dudes mm. who, you know, lost a leg or an arm. Uh, and the painkillers inevitably led every single person to the, down the exact same road that I went down where they had this, this professional career and parallel to that running was this dysfunctional addiction that once the legitimate industry turned its back on them, they ended up in the illicit market, in the illicit drug arena, just like I did. And yeah. so it wasn't unique to me, which was kind of the other part. I'm like, wow, why, why the fuck are we shaming? Like, these are some of the most accomplished people I've ever met in my life. Yeah. I never would have imagined that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so you, you now get addicted to methadone, which is essentially uh, heroin, but the, you know, a pseudo form, which is uh, yep. genetically engineered by 
chemist. Kind of, there, there yeah. you go. The uh, Germans made it in uh, World War Two. The Nazis made it. Yeah, yeah, and because uh, I've actually I did security at a methadone clinic here in uh, Newcastle. Oh, yeah, you did too, and it's right. just just the people you see come in, put their heads There's down, zombies. and people's in suits rocking up. No way, just getting their stuff and. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy. So you're addicted to methadone. What happens from there? Do you go straight back into the the rehab or? No, I went straight to the fucking CIA. <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking segue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, methadone, so CIA. I'll tell you how. Uh, and first of all, I was a guy said the CIA. I was a contractor. I, I'm not, I, and I was no fucking Jason Bourne. I was in the air wing. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ, yeah, Jason Bourne. I, I just figured that'd be a funny segue. But so I'm home. I'm on, on, on. I was on unemployment in order to stay on unemployment. You needed to be applying for jobs. So I'm sitting here applying for these grand slam jobs that I'll never get. Like, of course, why, you know, I'm not going to get a job flying for the CIA. I'm some dipshit loser. And of course I get a fucking call. Guys like, Hey, uh, I'm, I'm Alan. I'm the uh, station manager at at Bagram. You know, I saw that you submitted your app. Uh, How soon can you come out? I'm like, well, how soon do you need? He said, well, uh, we'll get you your Afghan visa, your work visa. Uh, take about 30 days and you could be out here flying with us on Hueys. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, right. 30 days later, I was on my way to Afghanistan. And for those 30 days leading up, were you still hitting the hammer or the meth, sorry? Yep. Yeah. The methadone, yeah. Yep. yep. And then I, I ended up going cold turkey off that. Fuck. Which, you know, I thought it was going to be different because I'm like, well, it can't be that bad. You know, this is what they gave me to get off this. Yeah. Uh, it was just as bad. Once again, cold turkey. That's. Did crazy. you ever feel like you want to experiment with other drugs? No. I, I really didn't care for other drugs. Yeah, well. I mean, they didn't appeal to me. I didn't like them. I, I tried cocaine once and I hated it. Tried pot. I didn't really like it. I didn't really care for alcohol. What about us? Um, I, I didn't. I didn't enjoy the way they made me feel. They didn't mm. do for me what. I mean, the the if you look at the molecule, like the chemical structure of an opiate, it's almost identical to the pleasure, the dopamine molecule that's made yeah. by your brain. I mean, it's yeah. like it's. It's literally synthetic happy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. And so it, it's like that appealed to me being happy, being, I mean, just absolute warm euphoria, confidence, energy. I mean, like peak performance in the beginning. Now, obviously, as time went on and, you know, I ended up, my tolerance went up and I was using more and it was putting me into psychosis, overdoses. And I'm, oh. I'm missing meals because I'm spending money on drugs instead of food. And, I, you know, I went from like 200 pounds to like 165. How much a week at your bad. peak were you spending a week on drugs? <laughs> everything. <laughs> oh, fuck. Everything I could. I mean, every penny that I had went towards, yeah. I was eating dollar cheeseburgers every, every other day, every day, whatever. Oh, fuck. And, you know, I mean, there was times where I would spend three, four hundred dollars a day, or if I had see with the doctor's prescriptions, it was all free because my insurance paid for it. Mm. So I wasn't having to spend a tremendous amount in the beginning, but it turned into that like one thirty. So opiates are a dollar per milligram, okay. And I would take about three hundred milligrams per day, so three hundred bucks a day was my habit. Yeah, right. It's crazy. When I could afford that. That all adds up, doesn't it? Yeah. So let's touch on the GRS side of things. So the GRS is the Global Response Staff for the CIA, which is essentially a paramilitary uh, that deploys all around the world doing the things. I think some people would be more familiar with the Super movie. Soldiers 30- of Benghazi. Yeah, the 13 Hours movie. That's GRS. So you deploy over Bagram and you're back uh, flying around on Hueys as a door gunner. Uh, yeah, as a crew chief. Crew um, chief, sorry. Yeah. So- we had at some point during the, we actually carried personal sidearms. We didn't have hard mounted weapons. That was kind of a battle that we went back and forth with and we were supposed to get them. And then like it would get taken away. And then 
there was another incident where I'm not going to say who they are, but some guys had a malfunction on their minigun and, and it ended up injuring the user, the firer. And from that point on, it, it just became an uphill battle of us fighting to get mounted weapons. So we just carried personal weapons. Uh, we had, we also, so GRS would give us what we called shooters, which were, uh, you know, basically former soft dudes who had gone over to the grounds or, you know, had gone over to the, yeah. the government side and they carried everything from like those little break action grenade launchers to suppressed HK 416 with hundred round drums, you know, Fuck Glock yeah. 19s. That's hectic. They had some fucking firepower, man. I'll tell you that. It was pretty cool. I yeah. mean, all things considered, obviously, we could have had mounted guns. But yeah. What was your role on these uh, Hueys? Were you uh, doing? Uh, basically, security. And so as the crew chief, I would have to. So we we were the VIP support. So Afghanistan had a task force that was called NCR. And it was basically the uh, a nexus of NSA, DIA, and CIA, and all of their employees. And so, you know, not everyone who's in the CIA or the NSA is like a Jason Bourne gunslinging hero. A lot of them are thinkers. They're brains. They're not brawn. And so the GRS component of that, the shooters were the security. And we were just the aviation element of the GRS, like kind of an extension of GRS yep. to transport VIPs and equipment, uh, cargo, personnel. Um, and then there was another component I was not a part of which is like the air assault component, the guys who flew MI-17s, and they were the kind of action, like the lethal arm. We were more just transport, um, you know, taking the VIPs around. Yeah, right. So how, how long did you work for GRS for in Afghanistan? So I was there for – so because it was a contract gig, we did 90-day uh, rotations. Mm -hmm. And so it was about a year um, until <laughs> we got attacked and then – I posted a stupid video on Instagram. I shouldn't have. I got arrested for treason. Oh wow! Because so, of course, just my luck. I post this video of an attack that happened on Bagram, which was like a it was it was a massive fucking explosion. Uh, my alarm went off and I got out of bed. It was like six in the morning, and just the loudest fucking most violent force I've ever felt in my life. I mean, this fucking explosion was massive, and it blew me like I fell onto the ground, and everything on my shelves came flying across my room. My door flew open, the windows broke, and I'm th I was like, we just took a direct hit from an incoming rocket because we took uh, we took incoming yeah. uh, rocket attacks almost on the, uh, every other day at Bagram. Yeah, and I'm like, it must have hit directly. I'm like, like my coworkers are dead, and I open the door. Like, well, I, my door was open. I peek out the door, and I just see this massive mushroom cloud, and it must have been ten stories high. I was like, holy shit! So we're, everybody's filming it. And throughout the day after that, a massive firefight starts from Camp Alpha through the massive hole in the wall to the Taliban fighters who were outside, you know, trying to breach the base. And uh, I posted the video, which I'll I'll send you or post at some point. Hell yeah. um, and the Taliban shared that video. <laughs> and then it ended up on the world news. And in the video, like everybody's, of course, talking shit. I'm like, yeah, kill those fucking Muslims. Just kill these motherfuckers. Oh, no. Well, it's on Al Jazeera. And they're like, oh, the Americans are fucking talking about kill these fucking Muslims. This is what they think of us. This is how the CIA thinks of us. Like, and it's like my Instagram page. And I'm oh, like, God. oh, no. <laughs> well, so I come back from dinner. I took the video down. I'm like, all right, cool. I took it down. I'm good. And their military police CID at every single person's door in our living area. And then one goes, there he is. <laughs> they all turn and look at me. 
And then it's just, they just swarm me. I was like, oh, fuck. So they put me in handcuffs and arrest me and they take me in. And they're like, so, uh, and they're treating me like an asshole. I'm like, hey, look, I, I'm not the enemy here. All I did was post a fucking video. And they're like, you, you care to fucking explain to us how, how that video got to the Taliban oh. minutes after you posted it? They think they fucking, they, you sent it to them. They thought I sent it to them. Oh, have so them on they, okay. <laughs> Yeah, they, and, and so, and during this time, they start showing me and they're like, look, all these Taliban fighters, like, they know your name. They know where your dumbass lives. They found your family. They're like, these people are going to kill you. These are dangerous people. And so they took my phone, and eventually they kind of they looked through everything, everything in my phone. Dick pics. And they realized, all right, <laughs> you didn't, you didn't, you're not, in, like, they thought I flipped. Like, I was, they legitimately thought I was sending the Taliban intel. Fuck. And so that, you know, they cleared my, that cleared me or whatever. And then they're like, look, you know, you, you raised the threat profile of the entire post. Like they're now like everyone in the free Muslim world wants to come here and attack this base because of you and your big fucking mouth. And I'm like, God. It. <laughs> so the question is though, Cole, how did it get to them? Well, obviously like, you like tag like hashtag Muslim death or something. Or? So the location tag of Bagram, <laughs> Afghanistan. Oh, oh fuck. Oh, oh, there you no. go. So it flashed <laughs> up on Facebook. On, yeah. Through Instagram. Instagram so, yeah, reels. When, uh, when in I, used, I wouldn't have put Bagram, Afghanistan as a location. It would have been, right. it would have been, you know, who knows, but, Hot it was summer. actually a reporter from Ireland <laughs> oh, who, who made those. So the, the Taliban thing was one aspect. The reason it ended up on the world news was because some reporter looked at my page and saw, he was like, Oh, oh. are you kidding? Oh, what's going on today? Yeah. Nah, this is fucked. What's going on today? Going on today? We've never had this. Well, check out your computer card. Oh, we're back. We're back. There you go. Uh, we'll again. I don't know what's going on. Boy, this is one of the most the oddest. Computer was flickering before we got Kyle on. This is one of the oddest days. Like nothing. Like my computer's not charging properly. Uh, obviously, I don't know what's going on. This is not normal. This is not Fucking normal. Elon Musk. Yeah. Goddamn it! <laughs> <laughs> right wing on. hate monger. <laughs> um. So hashtag hot boy summer in in Afghan in the Irish <laughs> <laughs> Irish reporter bloody um yeah spread it to the world. Yep. So the reporter put it on, uh, sent it to Al Jazeera, mm. and yeah, I get. To watch. I'm, I'm at like the CID guys, are like, dude, General Miller. So I actually could have, I could have kept, I could have stayed and saved my own skin. They're like, look, we just want to know who else filmed this, who the other people were in the video, who else, who else from you know your job, who, who, what other guys were filming. And I'm like, no, I'm not ratting on my coworkers. Like yeah. I did this. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, we got you. We got you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the CID guy, so one of the CID guys came in who was friends with my dog handler friend from mm. tour number two. Yeah. He's like, Hey dude, I, I follow you on Instagram, mm-hmm. man. Uh, Cause at the time I had 30,000 followers. Oh fuck. And, uh, I'm like, he said, look, dude, if you, anyone, any, if you tell on your coworker, like you're going to get everyone fired. He's like, dude, you're fucked. I'm sorry to say it, but keep your mouth shut and don't say anything else. I was like, all right, cool. And I, I, mean, I wasn't going to tell him anyway, cause I kind of mm. knew that, but they were making it seem as if. I could save my own skin and it would be all good. And so, but yeah, next morning I was like, yeah, nah, I'm out of here. They sent me home to kind of, so General Miller suspended me from theater for 90 days, Yeah, which was the initial punishment. Like I'm not allowed to return to Afghanistan for 90 days, let things cool down, whatever. Uh, And then during that time, um, you know, I, I was, I descended back into (laughs) old habits and Far finally got my shit together. Mm-hmm. And uh, only recently have I kind of reconnected and found out that I, you know, I was talking with 
about getting my old gig back and flying again, but I, they wanted me to go to Africa or Japan. And I don't know, man, I, I ran for myself for long enough. And I, I was like this, this lifestyle of like desperado guns and war and fucking drugs is just not. Yeah. It. Yeah. So let's just touch on how you eventually kicked the addiction. Um, you see, you leave Afghanistan, obviously you get sent home because, because <laughs> of treason. What a story. Cause you were talking with the well, Taliban <laughs> and, um, you obviously get back into the swing of, uh, taking drugs again. Um, you know, where, where does this come clean at this story? So I, I'd relapsed for about a month and I was just like, I, I ended up overdosing horribly bad. Mm. So much so that I went into cardiac arrest, uh, respiratory failure. Uh, I was gone, absolutely gone. Uh, I don't know that I should get into what I experienced, but I had what I'll call a, 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 an afterlife experience. Yeah, right. And I woke up about a week later in the hospital in shock trauma. And the, the guy was like, hey, man, uh, welcome back to life. You oh, overdosed on heroin. Fucking when you and I was like, when you took that, um, the hit of heroin, was that like a, a larger, larger dose or have you just been nope, using it more? It was two pills two oxycodone pills that were oh. fake oh shit i bought two pills off my neighbor and they were identical identical the markings the color the size the texture the only thing i noticed different was the taste because i'd set it on you know i put it in my mouth before i had ingested it and i'm like man that didn't it had a weird taste it, oh. but i'm like i haven't done them in a while I, you know i don't know did, but that I, was did you get a uh toxicity re- report yeah did they say what it was yeah, fentanyl. Uh, it was heroin and fentanyl. Yeah, there you go. Lacing of fentanyl. Fucking hell. Who the fuck makes this shit? That's sick. And um, do you mind if we do touch on your afterlife story? Like what, yeah. what happened? Or do you, like we don't have to. So, if you don't uh, I left my body. And so first of all, the, the words don't really exist to explain what I experienced. But I, I tried. I've gone on several times and kind of done it. In There, there was a continuation of consciousness. Yeah. Uh, it was a singular consciousness meaning there wasn't a room full of all of us as different people in death there was only one i I only experienced one consciousness and what i what i believe is that we are all experiencing the same consciousness, Mm. and that each of us is a receiver for it but it's kind of broadcast throughout the galaxy or the universe like a radio signal um there was no heaven there was no hell there was there was no emotion attached to it there like all the emotions that we have as humans there was none of that and it was just it was just awareness of everything. I, I don't know how to describe it. And at a certain point, I had no recollection of my life. It showed it showed me my life or I became aware. And again, I say I, but it, it, it's one consciousness. So when I say I, it might sound weird, but it showed me the life of Kyle Schmidt, of this human. Yeah. And I got to see it as a completely, like, a, like if you like pass a, third a stranger person. in a mall. Like a third person yeah. type thing. Yeah. I, I had no, it, I was completely indifferent to it. I had no care about it at all. I mean, like, it was just like, oh, okay. The, looking back at it now from the standpoint of having emotions, it really, really was fucking bizarre. It was so weird. And I just understood inherently that, like, I, I was not allowed to be there. Cool. And this really bright light kind of took me inside it. Fucking, I would call it a star. This really bright, gigantic blue light kind of, like, shot me across the galaxy. And if I had to describe what I was of that consciousness, I was like a little ball of electricity is the only way I could describe what in the words that I know how to describe it. That's what I would describe what I was. Wow. I I just don't know how to say it any other way than that. That is deep. 
but it it this this really bright star took me inside of it and it fired me across the fucking universe. I slammed back into my body. I remember beat. I remember waking up in in my body and I was paralyzed and I I didn't know where I was. I knew I had overdosed and I'm trying to move and I can't move. It felt like my fingers, my toes were a fucking million pounds. I cannot move my body. And for some reason, I thought I was behind a gas station or at a gas station. And the only thing that worked was my hearing. I'm like, where, where am I? Get your bearings. You're like, fuck, I'm back in my body, but I'm going to die again. This is really bad. And I started listening to the sounds and I hear he's breathing on his own again. His O2 sat's coming up. I'm hearing medical. Terms. So you're in, the ki- you're in the chyma. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. Yeah. So I, I'm in a hospital. I, I'm like, holy shit. It was really bright that day. The, the emergency room had these big bay windows and it was real. The sun was beaming through. And through my closed eyelids, I can see these dark silhouettes moving around. And at some point, they started to move me. And I'm like, okay, am I being fucking taken to hell? But did I just get kicked out of fucking heaven? What the fuck is happening? Dark shadows are fucking like closing in on me. I'm fucking, I've never, ever, ever, ever experienced fear like what I had in that moment. I, I couldn't even describe how afraid I was. And that it was like that Metallica video where the guy's trapped inside of his own yeah, body. Yeah. I'm fully conscious. I was as alert as I am right now. And I cannot open my eyes. I can't move my fingers, my legs, my toes. And I remember being like, you fucking idiot. You have fucking finally done it. You fucked yourself up so bad that you're paralyzed. <clears throat> and you're going to be like this until you die. And eventually they were like, he's, he's coming out of it. We can, he's breathing on his own. We can remove the breathing tube. And I felt this thing fucking come out of me. And then real quick, I started to wake up and I hear a guy saying, Kyle, Kyle, hey, move your fingers. If you can hear me, wiggle your fingers. And they moved a little bit. And then like, I don't know how much time transpired, but I started getting movement back. Mm. And within about a couple minutes, I'm fully awake again. And that's when the guy leaned over and he's like, hey, you know, welcome back to life. You overdosed. We had to restart your heart with a defibrillator. You went into cardiac arrest. Wow. You've been on life support. You're in a hospital in Baltimore. Uh, it's been about three days, you know, since the night that you overdosed. And then my whole family came in and uh, and I had to take a shit. <laughs> it had been three days since I had taken a shit. And so like, I'm like, I'm this bad, hooked to all this stuff. And this lady is like, I'm about to give birth to a fucking $5 foot long. And this lady's holding this little fucking, this lady's like holding this little fucking Dixie cup up to my asshole. She's like, just go. I'm like, bitch, I'm not going to shit in your hands. Let me go to the fucking bathroom. And so I like get up there. I'm dragging all these cords and shit. And I'm like, literally about to sh- I mean, like I said, imagine if you didn't take a shit for three whole days. I, think this like, I had to go, man. I had to fucking go. And I'm running around the gallons blowing. I'm fucking little dick hanging out, fucking naked, this thing flapping, drag. I'm dragging this pole with an IV on it and these monitors. I finally found a bathroom and it was yeah, it was probably a five dollar foot long I fucking gave birth to. But uh fucking frost. Oh, that um, was enough, man. I, I was like, all right, this is fucking I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get a third fucking chance. This is this is it. So I started going to meetings. I got a sponsor, working a program, awesome. started, you know, understanding that I can't do drugs, not even once. I can't drink booze because that's a segue back into it. I can't just smoke pot. I can't just do. And I didn't really care for those things anyway. But, you know, through time, I would kind of substitute one for the other. But they would always lead me back to pills. I, I take it seriously now. I understand that I have to talk about it. Yeah. yeah Being of ashamed of it. You know, like being ashamed of it is the worst thing for me. 
I have to kind of just laugh it off and, and realize that like, who the fuck am I? You know, uh, yeah, I did all these cool things in my life. And, you know, but anybody could have lots of other people do those things, too. Uh, I'm nobody special, you know, getting rid of the, the ego and just trying to be a good human, you know, a caring person trying to fucking understand that, you know, other people are going through hard times. And I hope that my story fucking helps. Them yeah. To come well, forward. I'm, you know? I'm sure I'm sure it will. Uh, and that was the whole point of me wanting to get you on, man. Like, cause you've got a fucking story. Like it's, it, you, you need to get on more podcasts. I think you yeah. definitely need to get on more man and share that story because that's going to, it's going to help people. And we know there's, you know, guys out there now, especially within the defense force or uh, our forces that are, Heavily on their drugs still, cocaine, uh, yeah. oxys, you know, because again, you know, like you just put everything into a box and you just take drugs to forget about everything. And that's the what the, it's who, fuck, what a story. Who found you, Kyle, the day you, yeah, uh, so yeah. I was, uh, oh, whereabouts I was were you? at a girl's house who I was dating, okay, and at some point she had called one of my friends and was like, Hey, he's doing really, really bad. My buddy Tim had lived down the street from her. Mm-hmm. She's like, Can you come up here and maybe like help me? He keeps like. He's just not acting right. Come pick him up and get him the fuck out of here. And in the time he showed up and was trying to convince me to leave. And the last thing I remember is like paramedics and police had shown up and then they left because I had like convinced everybody I'm good. And at some point after they left, me and him were leaving. And then I remember I just fucking plummeted in the fucking front yard. He and I were fighting. I was like trying to get away from the paramedics at first. And I was, I guess, running a lot. That part is kind of. I don't really remember it because I was just so fucked up, but in what he told me and the little snippets of it, I remember, I remember running away thinking I was going to get arrested, like sprinting. I was, I just overtaxed my heart and with the drugs in my system. Yeah. I just, you know, when, when he and I were leaving, I just remember, all I remember was laying in the grass and seeing the, like the grass, like blocking my view. And then it just going dark. Cardiac arrest. Fuck. What a fucking story. How long have you been uh, clean for now? It's been a little over a year. Yep. Also, oh, that OD was only like last year. Uh, yeah, it was a couple years ago. Holy okay. shit! But I, I did, I did kind of a maintenance thing after that for a little oh, bit, and yep. like weaned myself off. Okay. So I didn't count that as clean time. Okay. Yeah. Even though I wasn't abusing drugs, you still it, weren't clean. I don't know. There gets like a gray area in recovery where if you take something to help yourself, like get off of it, because I guess one of the problems I identified was I kept trying to go cold turkey, and they're like, "Look, you gotta like rebuild your life. You gotta start to practice these things." And slowly wean yourself down off of, it wasn't methadone, but it was something like that. But they're like, don't just stop taking it. Stay home. Stop running from your fucking self. And over time, I would slowly decrease the dose to zero. And then so, you know, from that point, which was a year ago till now, I've been clean, which, you know, like I said, I, uh, I'm hopeful for the future, but I'm not, I'll never be out of the woods. I mean, like every day for the rest of my life, I'm one bad decision away from being back in the obsession. Yeah. So it's yeah. something that I uh, have to be vigilant about and I have to keep it at the forefront of my mind and make my sobriety the number one priority in my life because anything I put ahead of that, I've always lost. Yeah. So like sobriety has to be priority number one and then the good stuff comes afterwards and it, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, man. Fuck. Stay strong. Do you, do you still chat the buddies from the uh, clinic or the, the Blackhawk pilot you, you become friends with? Was oh, all of them, yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah, awesome. In fact, most of them are on my Instagram. We're probably going to see this. I'm like, oh, please don't say my fucking name. Uh, have you, don't worry, I'm not. Have you done uh, a, have done any podcasts before? Or is this the first one? So I've actually got, I've just, not podcasts, but I've been invited on a few and I've gone live to tell my story. Like yeah. back when I had the 30,000 followers, I, I posted a picture of me on, on the 
life support. And I kind of typed out a narrative of what happened. And people, so many people had questions. I was like, look, I'm just going to go live and tell the story, Yeah, which is a, a much more in-depth version of what I, what I kind of said, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. I, I really didn't think that people were interested in what I had to say. Oh man, definitely. Definitely. And again, like, you know, your story is going to help other people. It's, it's, it's that simple. That's all it takes is someone else to tell their story and it helps other people. And it's any, just, and any you know, like someone out there might go, fuck, you know, I'm the same as Kyle, like the sense of like, I've been in and out of like relapse, like up and down the spikes of like clean the back in, clean the back in, you know, and that might have like a high profile life, you know, whether it be in a suit, a defense person, military, you know, they go, fuck, you know, if, if like Kyle can do it, so can I. Yeah, man. Yeah. I hope, or just promoting understanding of like, this isn't something that is unique to like, you know, homeless people sucking dick behind a dumpster. Like this happens in <laughs> the most high profile places. Of, like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it, it happens to important people, smart people. Yeah. They're, you know, Business from NASA engineers to fucking, you'd be surprised how many, I mean, there's, there, there's a website on Instagram called sober celebrities. Oh, yeah. There's astronauts on there. There's fucking U S presidents. Lindsay Lohan. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> I was yeah. so disappointed when I found out she was a fucking lesbian. Ugh. Is, she, is, she, is she a dog? Yeah. I could never jerk off yeah. her ever again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she jumped the fence. Uh, mate, we've been talking for a good, uh, good, good while now, and, and it's, uh, it's, we've, been yeah, it's, it's been fucking absolutely just insightful. Just to you know, cool. see two sides of it's, you, again. It's almost like you live two different lives. You live that professional that, yeah, life. They're diametrically opposed. It, absolutely opposed. And not even that, you were a police officer at one stage. You well, know, that's where it all started. Military Kyle and like junkie yeah. Kyle and like the nicest, nicest way. Yeah. You know? And it's just like you had those two going for like years on end. And, and nobody knew in the army for, for a long time until the CIA, until you went to the CIA and they're like, oh, fuck. So actually, well, so the way the army found out was I popped out on a drug test and they were like, you know, I'm, oh. I'm thinking like, I'm going to show them my prescription. This is all going to go away. And they're like, yeah, you know, the prescription's cool and all, but the level in your system <laughs> was like enough to kill a fucking elephant. Like, <laughs> holy shit! Yeah, wow. They're like this isn't this isn't recreational use. This level is indicative of using addiction. Yeah. And the military was so so. If, any, if there's any takeaway from this, and we, I would like to end on this note: the military was forgiving of my sins. Yeah. Wow. When I came clean and I was humble and honest, and I was like, look, I didn't try to hide it anymore. I was like, I've fucked up. I've had this thing going on. I've just been so horribly ashamed of it that I've tried to bury it for years and it just keeps coming back because I've never handled it properly. And because I was humble about it and I didn't try and deny it or lie or play it down, they were like, cool, man, you know, you're, you're a smart guy. You're a hard worker. We want you to get help and come back to it. And yeah, that's right. what happened. That's Holy fucking smokes. rare. Isn't and that's good. Really rare. Th- and that's what I mean. And and that I wish, I, I hope that maybe this chain of commands will see that their default action doesn't have to always be punishment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that compassion is the only reason I'm open about it. Yeah. Otherwise I'd still be hiding. Like, and so, and the army actually made a policy after that, that if you self refer, they cannot boot you the fuck out. Yeah. They have to let you get help. Uh, My, my whole fear was like my security clearance, my security clearance, my security clearance actually never even got flagged. And even when I went, a lot of people are probably wondering like, how the fuck did you pass your clearance to work, you know, to fly for GRS as a contractor? I told the truth. Yeah. Again, I was trying to not get the job. And I even asked the lady, I was like, ma'am, I just told you about all these times I've been arrested, DUIs, fucking drugs. How the hell did you just, how I had this clearance? 
And she was like, sir, this is an assessment of your vulnerability to espionage. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with it. If you had lied, you'd be, if you were embarrassed about this stuff, that would mean it could be used against you. But you told us. So the truth actually set me free in all this where I'm like, fuck, why didn't I know that years ago? Yeah. You know, now, obviously that to a certain extent, I mean, you can't fucking eat children or like rob banks, but (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, just, just the things that I did weren't bad enough to prevent me from getting a clearance. And, you know, I had doctors who were like, look, his substance abuse is in remission. He's involved in treatment. He's doing all right. And and it got approved. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Mate. Well, for our, uh, Guess we've got two final questions, mate. And one of those questions is, you know, what advice can you give to people? Keep on keeping on, you know, complete any goal they set their mind to and just, you know, complete. Just just keep on Just trucking. get it like you have, mate. Like you've gone through the absolute fucking pits. You've gone through the ringer. Of two different yeah. worlds of drugs and being a crew chief. Yeah. Fuck seeing death, gore, fuck PTSD. You the know, afterlife. Like the afterlife. Yeah, you've had your afterlife story. You know, what advice can you give to people to just keep on? I would say that humility and, you know, honesty is, is the best policy and get off the fucking, get off your phone and TV and like all the outside voices, all there's so much fucking negativity. And for some reason, that's what we react to. So like, don't ever let no, don't ever accept no for a fucking answer. And I mean that in, in, in a, in a legal, like positive way. So many people told me that I, I would, you know, I was a junkie. I was a loser. I'd never accomplish any of those things. There was someone who was absolutely like certain that I would never be any of those careers. And I did each one of them yeah. when the entire world, you know, the, the, the conventional thinking is that a drug addict could never do those things. So whatever your issue is, get help for it, be humble and open about it. Cause like the world wants to forgive you. There's very few evil people in the fucking world who just want people to be miserable. Mm. If you're humble and you're just honest about, Hey, you know, maybe I've got some character defects I need to work on. Humility is so rare these days. Just be, be humble. Don't accept no. And fucking, if if one way doesn't work, try another. Yeah, exactly. Fucking honesty is like fuck. Just tell the fucking truth. Integrity. Like, it's you know, yeah. Help each other. Also, the last question. Did you have something? No, no, you're right. Uh, last question. Uh, what's in store for the future for for Kyle Schmidt? Well, um, sobriety. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Take, taking putting my sobriety as the number one priority in my life, and and keeping it there, and being happy with the short amount of time that I have in this world. Because even if you live to be a hundred, that's a fucking, that's not even a drop in the ocean of time. Yeah. So the moments where I'm in traffic or where I'm bored or I'm not satisfied, finding a fucking reason to be satisfied. Um, so what's in store for me is fucking is positivity and being happy about the fact that I'm blessed enough to even be bored. Yeah. And you're possibly going to head back overseas and do a bit of work again, maybe. So I'm doing some stuff with Ukraine right now just because of, like it's nothing important, but um, basically middlemanning intelligence um, to some folks I used to work with uh, because I started this dead communist sticker. Uh, <laughs> I started yeah, selling them trying to raise buddy for you know money for my friends fighting in Ukraine, and that kind of segued into people who I used to work with being uh, curious about what they're doing. So yeah. uh, will I ever go back to work for the government? I don't know, maybe. But uh, I got a lot of cool things in the works and a lot of possibilities that I could uh, – Tell me this, Kyle. We ever have you been asked to go to Ukraine, or have you even thought about going going over there to Ukraine? I, I have thought about it. It did come up, and yeah. the legal attaché for the agency said no. Yeah, yeah of course. They said fuck no. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
let's just quickly touch on your website because you can get those dead commie stickers. <laughs> They're awesome. <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of other stuff. You've got shirts, hoodies, and hats, and heaps of stickers. Dust off stickers, which is super cool. That is uh, doorgunnerinc.com. Yep. And there's a link to it in my Instagram page. Yep. Link and, and if people want to get in contact with you, they can head to your Instagram, which is doorgunners underscore inc underscore. And, uh, uh, yep. Or they can call me. My cell phone number is 202-378-3470. Seriously, if there's anybody okay. out there struggling with addiction, I, I talk to people on Instagram all the time. People yeah. are amazed that I answer my phone or that I put it on here. That's awesome. Um, that's you know, so, that's if, awesome. If you're really struggling, is. I'm happy to take the time out of my day. I don't care. Three in the morning, wherever you're at in the world, I'm happy to talk to you. There is somebody like you out there, and that's me, and I'm happy to talk any way I can. That's awesome, brother. That's fucking that, that is that's legit. Yeah, that is legit. And again, thanks for your time. I know this is your first podcast and you've literally just told your whole your whole life story. Your whole life story, which has been just oh. And we've we've asked questions we probably wouldn't it. even ask someone like especially yeah. the harder stuff, you know. It's 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 been awesome. It's been it really awesome. Yeah. And we'll we'll definitely yeah. stay in contact. As I said, I'm in the US a fair bit, so I'll def- definitely catch up. Hopefully, go shoot some guns. Dude, I'd love to do that, man. That'd be awesome. I love DC. I love traveling DC. It's just one of those places. DC's just got everything: the White House and the Lincoln Memorial, and uh, Arlington's just you know down mm. down the other side. So it's just incredible place, DC. And if, I think if it was anywhere in the US I'd move, it'd be DC. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't I've know, got a like, um, my ex petty officer Boson lives over there. Yeah, right. I think he's working. At, yeah, right. I don't know what his name, but yeah. interesting. But yeah, man, let's stay in contact and uh, thanks for your time. Cheers, Kyle. You're Dude, I'm humbled and honored that you guys would have me on. I really appreciate it. No, brother, Not appreciate it. Thanks, bro. See ya. Hey, stay up, guys. Holy fuck! He's actually also my gamer tag on PSN. Holy uh, fuck! Yours is H O L E E F U C. That um, was a story and a half. Have yeah. you ever heard a story like that ever in your life? Never. Never, ever. You know, you do hear the stories of the one side, you know, of just drug users or the hectic side of being, mm. you know, in the military, but... Not up and down, in and out, in Not and to out. be a police officer and get addicted to... While still serving. Oxies, yep. And still and, serving as a cop like in, in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Just hanging around, you know, D.C. doing his job. Then, you know... Obviously, the oxy was the gateway to heroin because the doctor wouldn't give him any more. He's like, I'm cutting you off. And that was just like, what do I do? obviously, he got sick. And that's what the, the whole body is just trying to get rid of the fucking drugs out of his system. Adjust, yeah. And his next door neighbor's like, fuck, I've got what you need. I've got some hammer. Yeah, hammer time. Bangs it in and yeah. fucking that's, fuck, 2006. And he's been addicted to drugs, you know, ever since. For a good 12 well, he's years. He's been clear, clean for about over a year now, but... Yeah. A good decade of his life was just in and out. It's it's amazing that he was serving all that time over in Afghan and he was cold turkey. Like, That's, like This is what I just don't get. How much heroin and, and like opioids? He fully went through that cycle of getting off drugs. You know, most people just... Yeah. I wouldn't say most people, but I, I guess that, you, you know, you, you get addicted and then you just come off it that once and that's it, you're clean. Fuck, he did it like four but he times. did it. But and it's not just normal four times. It's not just like I'm just getting off it and then going back to working behind a fucking desk. Yeah, he's flying fucking. He's flying know, the back shoot, having fucking hands on with the with the minigun. Door gunner. That first appointment, he was the medic. Fuck. That's where he met Troy and the boys. Yeah, Troy and the boys. <laughs> Troy and the boys. And um, it's it's fucking. It's crazy. it's just, it's it's. I, I don't know what to say. Like, and it's then he honestly, just, and just, then he joined the CIA. 
Yeah, so he did his Sorry, three deployments. Contractor, contractor. So he did his three deployments to Afghanistan. One is a medevac. Uh, the next two were door gunners, which is fucking cool. Uh, which is super cool. And cold turkey throughout those whole times. And one of them was sixteen months. So mm. it's, that's a long time to be overseas. Oh yeah. oh yeah. And he took advantage of it when they said, "Oh, do you want to stay longer?" He's like, "Yeah, fuck yeah." yeah. And obviously, it was a double edge for him. Because like, he's like, "Well, if I die here, fuck, so bad. It's if good. I go back home, I've got nothing." I'm just going to get back on drugs as well. Yeah. So, but he ended up doing that anyway. So every deployment, he'd come back, obviously cashed up, and just blow all his cash. Blow his cash on fucking three hundred bucks a day, three times of twenty one, twenty. To say doing doing a, doing a big grand a week US dollars yeah, a week yeah you know his deployments yeah. was getting forty what he said about forty five grand in that first one yeah and then just in his bank account blew it all on drugs oh, man just in and out like deployment back on drugs yeah eight months of doing drugs yeah. back on deployment again yeah. and then so yeah and then that last time he uh, obviously joins the CIA yep. which is the GRS Global Response Staff mm-hmm. is their paramilitary side of things. Again, better known the movie 13 Hours, Ben Garzik. They do order protection at the embassies. Works back in Bagram as a you know, private security contractor. And he films one of the Films attacks. a video, yeah, of an attack, you know, just giving it to Dallies. the Dallies live. And somehow it reached Al Jazeera in this stage of CIA and, and uh, NSA. And <laughs> for they've just gone. Who the fuck are you and how does the Taliban, how, how, have, how have they got this on their social medias? So Who are you speaking too. to? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And obviously it was just a link between someone that the footage, he, as it's I said, an he- Irish, Irish reporter. Well, he said that he tagged Bagram and that's what it, because as soon as you tag one of those, it pops up on the yeah. Instagram feed or your Facebook feed. First rule of OPSEC, turn off a geotag. Yeah, don't tag anything. <laughs> or just don't submit videos. <laughs> Hashtag hot, hot boy summer. That's so he was sent uh, obviously back- Without charge. Back stateside. Yeah. Uh, Eventually, uh, they've worked it all out and said he was not talking to the Taliban. He didn't coordinate the attacks. He just posted a video stupidly. what was going through the CIAs and all their heads going, all right, fuck, Kyle Schmidt is working with the Taliban. They would have went through everything. Oh, man. man. They would have went through his house, his family. 100%. 100%. And so they sent him home, said, you know, he's suspended, essentially. 90 days. Yeah. And he got back on it. He was- What else do you do? Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, prescribed um, methadone. Yes, yep. got back on it, back on the, back on the horse. Fuck. And then he went to rehab, and he was meeting up, meeting up with like all these. Sorry, SF- that's when he uh, got on the methadone. Was after he went to rehab. That's, that's what they prescribed sorry. him. What do they call it? A um, maintenance kit. Maintenance kit. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. he met like pilots and. Fucking yeah, he said there's just everyone there. Seals, Delta, Delta fucking officers. Just, and obviously, a lot of those boys are just you know jammed up on. Oxies because of their injuries and yeah. cocaine's widespread throughout the militaries. Even you know it is here in Australia. The and the police, I know, yeah. I know police officers you can't do that hold shit. anything from us. Yeah. We, we know the ins and outs. Yeah, but, um, that was, um, but that's addiction. Cool. That's addiction. It doesn't. Yeah. It, it can affect anyone. And fuck, we've seen it with celebrities. Yeah. Look at the amount of celebrities have died. That you know, Amy Winehouse, for example, mm. crazy, crazy. Well, she actually sang a song about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to go to- Yeah. Yeah, and obviously he- He died. He died, yeah. <laughs> he OD'd. For, he, was, he, he might have, I don't know how long he died for, but he, he woke up four days. So let's say he died for a, an hour or something. Yeah, and had a mad out-of-body out of experience, which, you know, he believes that was the essentially- The afterlife, which is- That's fucking know, cool. That's crazy. Just, yeah, I've heard a lot about you know, people having those experiences, but- you know, he had it and then obviously he got thrown back into his body. This yeah. is what he said. And was still in a coma. So he said he could 
fully hear everything that was going on. Just see shadows and silhouettes. Couldn't move or anything. And then he wakes up and the first thing he needs to do is a big shit. (laughs) (laughs) Needs to do a huge turn. (laughs) You said the nurse come in with a little 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 cup cup. and he's like, ma'am, like, no, I I need a shit. Like there's like three days worth of shit here. I need need a bucket. (laughs) I need a bucket. I need a toilet. Send me the toilet. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> That's that was probably the funniest part out of that. Everything else is pretty somber and you know crazy, yeah, but um, yeah. So and you know for the last year, or so he's been clean. Yeah, which he's, is absolutely uh, fantastic. Yeah, really like, and he's such a just a just a yeah. dude, man. Like he's an American hero. Let's, he's st- let's, he's let's still fighting there. demons today. Definitely fighting demons, no, and yeah, um, you know still fighting his uh, the drug addiction. He's yeah. a year clean. And, you know, we, we, we wish him the best. So if you want to get in contact with him, as he said, he dropped his mobile number on there too, his cell phone number. Yeah. So I think that's ul- ultra cool, you know. That's ultra cool. So definitely hit him up, you know, if, you, if you've got any issues. If you want to get in contact with him outside of that, you can head to his Instagram, as we spoke about it before, doorgunners underscore inc underscore. His previous one had 70K thousand followers, that's but obviously that got shut down because of the CIA. That's epic. So 70 yeah. now. Yeah, it's pretty decent. And uh, yeah, hit him up because he's content creator. He, he's a dude. He's just a cool motherfucker. Yeah. And again, we wish him the best. And uh, I'm definitely going to catch up with him. Never asked. Never asked his age. How old is he? He's got to be late late thirties. Oh, uh, I did read. I think he's. Oh, he's a senior in high school. Let's say he was eighteen back then. Oh yeah, so he's at least at least forty odd. Yeah, about my. So twenty one. 21. 21. 21 on Tinder. Cutie pie. <laughs> but not moisturise. <laughs> <laughs> and for us, if you want to get in contact with us, head to our Instagram, zero.lemmers.podcasts on Instagram and Facey. Shoot us a message. Leave us a review, if you could, on Apple Podcasts, our yeah. website even. We, we do we do read them. Yep, we do read them. Even and uh, Spotify. Yep, even if they're <laughs> one star. You guys are shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Otherwise, head to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the likes, uh, Stitcher, uh, Podbean. Pod, Podbean. Podbean. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say that with, with a straight face. Podbean. Flicking the bean. Podbean. <laughs> I know. Who calls it Podbean? I'm not going to flick. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Listen. Search Zero Limits Podcast, and you'll find us on We're everywhere. Uh, everywhere. All right, guys. Again, uh, thanks yeah. for listening, and we'll see you next time. Ciao. Wait, wait, wait. Now, quickly, just before you go, I want to tell you about Three Zeros Coffee. Now, as you know, I like my coffee how I like my men, long and black. <laughs> However, lately, I've moved into the cold brews. I'm loving it, obviously, because the weather here in Australia at the moment is quite hot. So what I've been doing is using the seasoned campaigner pour-over filter bags, literally rip open the packet, put the filter bag over my coffee mug, few ice cubes, pour in some hot water, let it cool down, add a sugar or two just to make it sweet, and I fucking love them. Honestly, you get the kick that you need out of the caffeine, and the taste is great. So if you want to get yourself a supply of coffee, head over to 30scoffee.com.au. From there, you can choose whatever you want. You've got the beans, you've got the pour-over filter bags, got some merchandise, and just to let you know that a percentage of their sales is forwarded to organizations that support first responders. So while you're getting your coffee, you're doing a good deed by getting some of this money to the first responders and where it needs to go. While you're there, don't forget to use the discount code 3ZLIMITS. Now look in our bio, you see that discount code, use it, get your discounts. So again, jump onto 30scoffee.com.au and grab yourself a supply.